Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with another episode of the Arama Japan podcast. This is a special episode. This is the 2021 year-end episode. And that was Hannah, my co-host. And we have special guests for this episode. The first one, the first one is my colleague at the Japan Times. It would be Patrick Sant. I don't want to say your last name because I always say it the French way and you're just like, no, it's just not the French well, way. Well, no, but it sounds good when you say it. I want to emphasize, <laughs> make it sound so fancy, which is not reflective of me whatsoever. But when you say Patrick, it, it sounds so, please. Patrick Saint-Michel, oh, Saint-Michel. Wow. Saint-Michel is good in the regular. But Saint-Michel is very, I feel like you're speaking in cursive. It's great. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm back um, to talk about the year in review. Yay! Yay! And then our other guest is another friend of the show. Hey, guys. It's Rio. You might know me from the Subsect newsletter, This Side of Japan. I'm glad to be back one more time for another year end. Yay! Welcome! Yay. Because I think that you did year-end for 2020, and I think Patrick did year-end slash end-of-decade for 2019. Oh, that's true. Yeah, end-of-decade was a, was a two-part, was a four-part, but in, recorded in two parts. So, um, basically, this is just like something fun, something free, something relaxing. I don't want to go bit by bit by bit over the year because me and Hannah do that every month. So this is going to be just like a recap. And we want to go and focus on what our special guest and ourselves liked, didn't like, what we see happening, what we want to see happen, what we think is going to happen in the future. So to kick it off, I want everyone, ladies first, so Hannah's going to go first, and then Patrick, then Rio, and then me. Um, how did you feel about this year? Hannah, you start. So it's ironic that in December, Niji Sanji EN released that like boys group song because I was just like, wow, this song sounds like a smack clone from like 2003. I forget when the Sheena Ringo song was. I sent it to you and you were just like, this is a Sheena Ringo smack song that she wrote okay. in like 2003. Or something. It was actually like 2013, but okay. Yeah, but like, it just, it's, it sounds so derivative and like, it's passable, which is saying a lot, but like, this entire year was about boys, gr boy groups getting bigger and bigger and sucking more and more. Right? Oh, yeah, I suppose. Which what do you mean, of, suppose? Okay, which all we're, of we're coming out with big thesis statements right away. <laughs> it, it reminds me of just like people looking at like the Oricon urine chart and like the top 10, like, like when the physical chart came out and people being like, it's all boy bands. It's actually really funny because I'm looking at the top artists of the year and the top five are all men. It's BTS, Snowman, King Prince, Adashi, and Six Tones. Six Tones. Oh. <laughs> Six oh. tones. It has literally been two years and it's still this pandemic tones. has been two years. <laughs> stones. 
Anyways, it's all men. And yet their music sucks just as ever, right? Like Snowman and Stones probably has improved, but I wouldn't know because I can't hear them. YouTube. You always say. (laughs) YouTube. And BTS just got affected by the pandemic and have never been the same since. This is very sad. You weren't you weren't into like B first or JL One or any of those boys. I had the same like hot and cold attitude to JL One and B first. Any all of them are like very forgettable. So it's just like wow, there's a lot of men, but they're not great. Where is my good music at? So that that's my theory for 2021. I need so, them to get better. So little time. Um, so the thing is, though, is that, like, yeah, when you sent me that, I was just like, oh, this is, like, Hannah's, like, her great love of, like, anime and, like, the mixture of, like, boy bands. So um, moving on to Patrick, what did you think of this year? It was a... Uh especially being in Japan itself and kind of seeing how the year unfolded. It was a really weird year, as you would expect. Um, like, it, like, I don't know where to start. Uh, you know, the, the pandemic was way worse here uh, than it was in 2020. So a lot of things were kind of put on hold once again. And we also had the presence of the Olympics, which really kind of like threw everything off for half the year. Like nobody remembers it now, but like culture came to a stop basically for like three months here because we all had to we all had to deal with the Olympics, too. Oh, like this is all we can talk about. And so for me, when I look back on 2021 in music in particular, it's a lot of sort of like big changes that happened the year before which was like seeing streaming really take off because everybody had to stay home seeing something like the first take become this cultural influence destination um seeing sort of a new attitude and new stars emerge in j-pop i feel this year was really just kind of being like yeah it's still happening it was everything being underlined like three times in sharpie but maybe structurally nothing changing but at the same time, when I look back at it, there's a lot of just a lot of interesting corners to explore, both in sort of like the big J-pop picture. If you want to look at the way sort of what Hannah was touching on, the way male groups are kind of splintering into these new directions. We have all kinds of stuff happening there. You know, idol music, maybe not as central as it used to be, mm-hmm. but like there's so much good stuff happening. Uh, and then you get to stuff like the continued, like Yoasobi is now like the biggest group in the country to a de- like mm. if you're kind of just out and about, they're everywhere. Like which the is- hyping of them, this yeah. well, like morning our time, night your time, the hyping of them, just like on Music Station Ultra Super Live. That's a mouthful. Um, just like they're coming, they're coming. Keep watching, they're yeah. coming, they're coming. And I think they were like second to last behind like I think like, I think after them was like uh, the guy from Southern All Stars. I just blanked on his name. Oh, Kisuke Kawada. Yeah. Yeah. And but they're second to last like, this um, year. 
For your Asobi, it's like there's a lot of fake Yosobi songs, like specific like Yurini Karkiru's like, songs. They're like a yeah, blueprint yeah. at this point, too. Yeah, they've become so just the exactly that format's become so kind of like, you know, there's a new generation of creators, whether they're kind of independent or it's other labels and companies being like, oh, hey, this is selling. Let's get in on this. But to the point where I think the funniest like intersection of this is seeing Johnny's groups like in some cases, hire the Yoasobi people mm -hmm. to actually make their music now. Yeah. Or just kind of, like, bite it, and you get this weird, like, it's Johnny's, but they're glum, and it's, like, anime, but not, because they're real boys. So, yes. there's a lot of weird things going on. In Strange Year, there's so many roads you could go down, but in general, it felt a little static, but I can also see a lot of interesting things developing. Because you call this year 2020 part two in yeah, your writing. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Ro. Your yeah, turn. so like as Patrick was saying, there's a, I think it's uh, good to like sort of explore different little corners instead of like a big narrative. But the scene I really liked following this year was uh, rap and hip hop. Um, it made headlines through I th I forget the festival's name. Uh, oh, not uh, Nami Monogatari. Yes, um, there's that. But um, obviously, um, I really like Stutz' presence in the whole series, mm -hmm. bringing rappers like Kirk Kid Fresino was on Music Station this year. Um, just like a lot of good, a lot of good and varied rap from the pop ends of like Vondi and stuff to like the weird stuff, like the Toji and Luta record was very weird, experimental, pretty good. Like uh, Lex and Oli use like little Uzi Vert esque rap to like you know um, hyper pop rap. Like just rap was really exciting in different forms this year. It was a really mm -hmm. exciting thing to follow. I remember like in the past like week or so, I've been tagging you and stuff on Twitter. I'm just like, there's a female drill rapper from like a reality show. Mm -hmm. Look at this, and then just like. Oh, like this MC Tyson and JP the Wavy song that's like an Afrobeat song. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, there's like different things happening. Yeah, it's like, um, yeah, it's like very contemporary to like Western stuff, but also like contained in Japan too. It's like it's just a whole varied, and then I like, uh, I just feel like it's uh, also pop too, like. I actually consider like Vondi rap, but it's like a very accessible form of rap. And then you can sort of dig deeper through that. Mm hmm. Do you know what it just, you know, who just popped in my mind? Hmm. Um, and literally, as soon as it popped in my mind, it popped out of my mind, like the actual name of the band. Uh, Kawatani Inon's band. Indigo Last, like, like, or guess who knows? You want to Guessing, yeah. Guessing, okay. Okay. I, remember, Indigo. I remember when they debuted, they were just like, oh, we're an alternative hip hop band. And I was just like, okay. That's just Eon Kawatani being Eon Kawatani, though. <laughs> classic Kawatani. Yes. <laughs> Free scandal. Oh, those days. Um, okay, so I guess it's my turn now. What did I think of the year? Um, I liked the year. Um, because I think I, I think the thing is, though, is that for the year, I um, 
Hannah often accuses me of living in my own world. So the thing is, though, is that like. You do? I do. So the thing is, though, is that while there was this whole thing this year, which was a continuation of last year, like Patrick said, of just like people dealing with the pandemic and also issues that existed before the pandemic in the country, which were exasperated a bit by the pandemic. Um, there was that whole like downer side. But then on the flip side, there was like, like Patrick said in his urine article for the Japan Times, there also was like an escapism. Um, this is me living in my own world now. For me, it wasn't escapism. It was kind of just like optimism. And like a trying to regain normality as much as you could. So the thing is, though, is that I thought this year was like fun. I thought there was like fun and interesting things because like one of my favorite songs of the year, not my number one, though, was um, Mukai Taichi's Baby Cakes. And I I specifically remember Patrick saying about this song, this would be a good song if Japan just stopped being sad. (laughs) (laughs) what was that was the winter too it came out right maybe the early spring so things were kind of yeah yeah. so it was really still kind of i think everything was really gloomy um Mm -hmm. i feel like if something like that came out now even i think it would have a better like you know i feel people are actually in a better mood in general now like Just because we've gotten through all the, at least for the moment, we've gotten through all the most, like, annoying parts of 2021. Uh, So, and I feel like after October, very specifically, after the state of emergency was lifted here, I feel like... How many were there? How many states of emergency? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, endless. (laughs) Like, because the big stat from this year was, like we were under a state of emergency more than like not, which was surprising for a lot of people up until October. It was like, there was like two weeks where you had a non-state of emergency where people could be like, I can go outside. I can take my mask off inside. Um, if you watch a lot of Japanese TV, uh, you'll, you can easily figure out when like things were filmed this year when the state of emergency wasn't happening because all of a sudden people don't have masks. Um, <laughs> the most notable is the mask singer, Japan, on uh, Amazon Prime here. Like, they got in a bunch of trouble because they literally filmed it during a two-week, like, period where that was off. So everyone's, like, dancing and singing and not wearing masks, and everyone got so angry. <laughs> so, like... Being like, how not- dare you remind us? It's not even that. It was because it was, like, when it premiered... Er- I think we were back in state of emergency. So people were like, they're not wearing masks. This is sending the wrong message. This is like Nami Monogatari, but on streaming. Oh, and my God. So, it, yeah, it, it's it's weird. That was the attitude that this year had. A lot of like, you know, can, can we have fun now? No. Uh, but now things are chill. If something like Baby Cakes came out, I think it would get a better reception. I feel in general, things are slowly getting more like outright optimistic in pop music, which mm-hmm. is why I think you're seeing all of these boy groups, the aforementioned J.O. ones and innies and B firsts kind of start 
you know, bum rushing to the center, like, because they offer that now. And 2022, I think people are really going to go for that. You remind me now of the King and Prince song, Koifuru. I just forgot the rest of the name of the title. I'm getting amnesia today. And like the pre-chorus literally is just like, can we be happy? (laughs) (laughs) I think you actually screenshotted that and sent it to me. Um, yes. The thing is, though, is that, like, those, like, those Twitter accounts that, like, go and just, like, post all the music show performances that keep getting banned, like, literally they screenshot things and just kept screenshotting, can we be happy for every performance of that song on every show? Can we be happy? We should be happy. That's why we're here today. Did you make us happy? (laughs) They tried to last year. <laughs> the perfect example of of the you know, sort of quote unquote escapism, where you're kind of touching on at least in J-pop, because mm-hmm. yeah, and it's something K-pop I think in particular does quite well, uh, especially in recent times. They're very good at offering this like almost completely non-reality based kind of yes. like joy. Um, I mean. The most notable to me is that there's that BTS video where they like, like in the middle of it, they all just triumphantly take out their masks, take off their masks, I should say. I'm just, yeah. From the standpoint <laughs> of Omicron right now, I'm just like, oh boy, that one. I, w- I wish you guys had been right about that. <laughs> but... I, I have to say during the pre-show of this, like um, Hannah said, I don't know why you don't, why you don't like BTS when pretty much you are like, your life is like dynamite right now. Drink a big glass of milk every morning. Kick the drum, King Kong. Um, basically, she was just like, you're just like that optimist. Just like, go out there and do your thing. But I always say, Hannah, my optimism comes from a place of accepting. Oh, this is going to sound dark. My optimism comes from a place of accepting the reality is going to be bad before most people. Because I will say, as far as COVID, I was listening to the news reports November 2019, and I was just like, that's going to come here. And I remember my birthday, January 2020, out in New York, in a DJ booth, drinking, just like, woohoo. And then like a moment of clarity, it's already here. Yeah, it's actually really funny that you mentioned that because remember one of the first times we ever recorded this in 2019, we were like, oh, like the first case was recorded in Japan today. Oh, yes, because it was on on board the Diamond Princess. Diamond Princess. Tato Milia's second album, which I love. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, my God, all the Milia promo that's happening. (laughs) That's your pandemic memory. (laughs) I know that album. (laughs) Milia promo every day. Diamond Princess. Um, But, yeah. So, okay. So basically, there's a book that came out. We're going to go ahead into like talking about trends of the year. And we touched on this earlier, which was like kind of like the downer pop, which is something that has already been happening. Um, I guess like in 2019, it started happening because when did. Because. It was way before that, because remember, Keaki Zaka is technically downer pop. Oh, yes. So we have to and go Sekai back. And Sekai no Wari is also technically downer pop. So, so you we, can't even say it was Yoru ni Kakiru. It was like... Well, 
thinking about when that song came out. So we actually had to go back to 2016 when I sent you Silent Majority. You did not send me Silent Majority. I was there and already. No, I Excuse sent you me. Silent Majority after they declared that Trump won the election. I sent you Silent Majority. <laughs> yes, this I, is Ronald bullying me. <laughs> I voted for Hillary. We both voted for Hillary. But the thing is, though, is I knew that Trump was going to win in December of 2015. I was like, he has the heat. So the thing is, though, is that when they declared that he was the winner, when they declared that he was the winner, I sent you Silent Majority. You were just like, oh, my God, fuck you, Ronald. <laughs> that was my exact words. This is an exact quote. So there's a book called Regimes of Desire, Young Gay Men, Media and Masculinity in Tokyo. And it's by Dr. Thomas Baudinet. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. He's probably just like he actually probably pronounces it the French way, unlike Patrick. It's true. <laughs> but there is a section of the book called the, the Rise of Precarious Japan and the Crisis in Homogenetic Masculinity. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Um, and basically, this section reminds me of Japanese music for the past couple of years. Um, for cultural anthropologists, Allison and Allison, the final years of the Heisei period were thus typified by a sense of hopelessness brought about by the inherently alienating effects of neoliberalization. Thus, hopelessness was further strengthened by the 2011 Greater East Japan earthquake and the subsequent nuclear catastrophe at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, which increased young people's beliefs that Japan has become a society that is teetering on the edge of catastrophe. The increasingly precarious nature of employment and the millennial fear brought about by nuclear disaster, Allison argues, have produced feelings of ikizurasa, or painful living, tied to anxieties related to Japan's imminent demographic collapse and the weakening of patriarchal authority. Patrick, as our Japan resident, what yes. do you think of that? <laughs> Uh man, this I feel like I'm totally like out of my death now. I'm like, oh man, smart academics. How do I fit into this? Uh, can you? I'm so sorry. Can you read that one more time so I can think about it? Basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize. So basically, you, the end of the Heisei period, mm -hmm. neoliberalization of the world. We'll just leave that part out. Thank you. <laughs> basically, what that part was talking about there's like paragraphs ahead is about how basically how the um the salary man is like a dying breed there mm. isn't really the um lifelong employment that there was in the past yes correct there's correct. like now like um freeders i believe they're called yeah, yeah, yeah the sort of constant kind of part-time work it's yeah. contract work you could work at a company but it's not the bubble era image of a yeah. for life employment yes so there's that mixed with just like um, 311, mixed with just like the demographics of the country aging <laughs> rapidly, there not being enough young people, children being born essentially, and basically this like tax burden that the younger generations who are now underemployed and going to have to basically be the base of a pyramid that is getting narrower have to deal with this painful living. That's basically what it is. Gotcha, okay. I was just like, oh, 
this is why you want to run into the night. <laughs> well, no, it is. I think it is accurate. And as you guys kind of touched on, it has been something that's been bubbling up for quite some time, really. I mean, honestly, you could argue since the turn of the century, like you can see seeds of it uh, just in J-pop, in popular entertainment, slowly growing out of the cracks of society. But in the past few years, I really do think it's taken off. Um, one of Ronald's favorite sort of end of an era artists, uh, Nishin Okana, kind of is to me like the moment it ends because she's the last artist I can really remember having mainstream, a real vice grip on the mainstream where it was projecting this like confidence and happiness, almost bubbly, like, yay, everything's okay. Um, Love's cool. I'm like a washing machine. Just read my instruction booklet. <laughs> uh, and then after that, you kind of get, to me, it's stuff like Keakizaka, Silent Majority being a great example. I think Amyun might actually be the most important artist on this front. She mm-hmm. really like was ahead of all of this. Is Not she just the Shinokana. To me, she was always the like market correction. Because it was like everybody got really sick of the tweeness of Anishin Okana and sort of the idol music, the AKB, uh-huh. you know, dominance of the early 2010s, which. So she was itself, a depressed like, Miwa. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's just like a Miwa, he was keeping it real. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just that, not just the mood, just the fact that she sort of also excelled on streaming and YouTube was a really telling. And I think, yeah, just younger audiences in Japan, I find they're more open to that sort of, like, less optimistic, more, you know, like, looking at a mirror, almost, type of music. Especially when it's presented with a dramatic flair, which is what Yoasobi do so well. I mean, their whole thing is, like, short story, but in song. So being able to present that sort of, like, compelling narrative, plus, of course, and maybe Hannah will appreciate this pivot, you know, the omnipresence of anime and, like, anime-style videos being so, like, central to the J-pop aesthetic right now. Like, all of that's come together to form this perfect, like, you know, our lives, it's nothing like what our parents had, you know? It's absolutely nothing like what our grandparents, who were able to sort of enjoy the 70s and 80s, had. And we're going to sort of both sink into this, like, uh, glumness. Plus, you'll get the rare moment of something like an Otto's Usewa, where it's kind of like a eruption of, no, Dad, I'm not going to listen to you. So I'm not gonna pick my socks on the subway. Screw you. <laughs> not gonna put my nails at the kombini. Uh, I had I was having ramen like a month ago with a friend, and that song, like this, like this restaurant, it was a rare Japanese restaurant. Where they actually were playing Japanese music, and I asked them like, "What are you guys playing?" Because I knew what they were playing. I walked in, they were playing Fujikaze, and. I was just like, oh, is this like a playlist? And they were just like, uh, yeah, it's just like the Spotify Japan playlist. And I like mentioned the song and they were like, oh, we don't know it. We just play it. And so Usewa came on and I was like explaining it to my friend. And he was just like, 
I'm totally lost. Like, are people really that angry there? And I'm like, some, some are. <laughs> a lot of younger people like the song, but apparently a lot of older people hate it. Is yeah, there true? was a whole, there was a very like, this has been something that like happens a little bit over the course of the year. There's been a couple like mini moral panics in regards to K-pop. <laughs> I remember reading it on Girls Chan just being like, my five-year-old knows this term now. Right, right. It's kind of like, should should like young people know this term? Should they say it at school? What if they say it to their teachers? That's not good. And it was actually, I do remember it being picked up by like morning news shows, even like I think the bigger news shows were talking about it, which is kind of why I, <clears throat> when thinking about like songs that define the year for J-pop, I kind of gravitate to Usewa because it was the weird song that became something that like, even someone who doesn't know anything about J-pop, like an older person who listens primarily to Enka or something, like they probably heard about Usewa and were like, oh, that's the song where that's like, the rude song so but yeah no it was a little like a very minor moral panic for a bit bro so i know that you are very much involved in the world of <clears throat> female idols and we mentioned kia kazaka earlier and i know that you're in mourning right now because we have to say this is we're recording this on christmas eve in the u.s which is december 24th he's in mourning because on christmas eve in japan Bish announced they were disbanding. Oh, yes. Um, you know, I'm not that really worked up about it, to be honest with you. Um, uh, they've been releasing like, the same music over and over for like a year, so it's fine. For a year, I feel like it's been orchestra on repeat. <laughs> yeah, but um, but um, speaking of like, Keaki Zaka and um, Bish, though, like Bish is another example of, I think, like, a switch into I like the attitude and idol. Like I guess we could like bring an alt idol into this as like a flip side to idol, like the bubbly side of idol. But in the past, like you know, the past half decade, uh, whack really brought that aesthetic as like the mainstream, um, you know, as like an aesthetic of like depressive music, uh, more harsher alternative music. And I think that's like a you can plug that into this whole narrative of like alternative. Uh, attitudes too because I'm thinking now of this meme that went around like a couple of months ago where it's just like I think it's like a k-pop group and they're watching I think Kiyakazaka and they're like all happy and clapping and like the meme is just like this song is about suicide and like the girls are looking they're like <laughs> dancing and they're like sad and depressed and I remember Patrick writing saying just like the narrative on J-pop has changed internationally. <laughs> yeah, it's the Yosobi meme, right? Oh man, I love that meme. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, the dancing one. Yes. Um, I guess this is a side note. Um, uh, for like like pandemic stuff. I don't know if you all heard of uh the Beyond song, uh Now Now Ningen, and um. Oh yeah, I remember uh, that one. Shot, like Shachi's uh Jibun Goto, where it's like the opposite, mm -hmm. where it's like. Well, yeah, pandemic is happening. We're actually gonna like reference it and like use yeah. like lyrics like the new normal and social distancing into the lyrics and stuff. It's like really odd, but like in an interesting way. Yeah, I mean, those are two of the like 
even beyond just if you're like corralling it into J-pop, like those are two of the best songs I heard this year and like easily some of the best like quote unquote COVID pop that I think exists anywhere because it's not really like, I feel a lot of COVID related music out like maybe from America mostly, I guess BTS falls here too. It's It's a little too like mushy, a little too like, we're alone, but together, or we're together, but alone. I don't know. But like, yeah, there's this weird, like, to me, those songs are very similar to Usewa in that it's also kind of about, like, imagining a different society. And maybe this gets to the sort of academic point, but it's like, they're both kind of taking a more optimistic look at what the world and Japan itself could look like post-pandemic. Like, and yeah, they're fascinating to hear. Yeah, just new normal social distancing. Like, just to see videos where all these things we've associated with, like, with the pandemic, like, become just reference points to play around with. You yeah, spoke that's of, the, yeah. You spoke <laughs> of, like, mushiness, and I thought of just, like, something mushy from last year, which I ended up being right about, which was, um, which was like that Hoshino Gen song where he's like, e Shoni. Oh, that one. What's it called? Oh, shoot. Odoru? Uchi ni Odoru? I forget. Yeah. I just remember the big backlash over Abe. So Shizu Abe not getting the meme. So. But I just, like, thought of just, like, mushiness. And then also, too, I think, Patrick, you, like, wrote something in your newsletter about, like, a 17 song that's called, like, Hitori Janai that dealt with, like, the same thing, if I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of songs like that that I think are just kind of, like... Yeah, just kind of, like, oh, a little and, too... Not my speed. Let's put it like and, that. <laughs> and what's that one, like, screenshot you're always using where it's just, like, it's okay to be mediocre? <laughs> Yeah, where's that oh, from? Sh- <laughs> that's, that's from it's from STU forty eight's latest. Oh, I don't know if it's their latest single. Nandake Hitare Tachio. Like, yeah. and yeah, if you turn on the subtitles, this is their official subtitling, which makes it even better. It's a song about, and this actually does tie into the greater sort of attitude shift you're seeing in J-pop, where it's not kind of like do our best, gambare. It's like this song is literally about like. Yeah, you don't have to try that much. We know you're already doing your best, and it's not really going that well for you. <laughs> so just like chill, just you know, there's nothing wrong with being mediocre as long as you're happy. You know, just just relax. I know I'm a failure, but who cares? Let's have fun. It's like That's... such a yeah. I mean, it's such a one. It's such a weird thing, and it came from the boat group of the AKB universe. <laughs> But also, yeah, I think that kind of attitude is something that is kind of the positive takeaway from your sort of like rise of Yoasobi, groups like Zutpamayo, Yoroshika, who were a little more quiet this year, but still there. Like even newer things that are getting hyped, like Maisendes. It's a lot of like, yeah, sullenness and feeling down about society, but it's at its best, kind of being like, yeah, but we can do something else and try to find our own happiness. I heard the Maison Des song when I was eating ramen, and I was just like, what is this twee crap? Do you hear all your J-pop while eating ramen? 
Well, this is a common the theme. This the is a most very common way theme. It's where I hear the Japanese TikTok songs. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and I'm just like, and then I saw it on CBTV. I was just like, I've heard this song where? And I was like, at the ramen shop. And it was just, <laughs> it was just like so like twee to me. It was just like, and like, it was just like, it just like reminded me of like a mouse. Just a mouse for some reason. Okay. <laughs> and then so now we are going to shift gears and leave from it's okay to be mediocre to break the limit. Gotta feel it. Gotta go. That's a snowman song. So now we're going to go into the escapist part. You mean the... The... Escapist, but actually kind of terrible, like male idol pop songs of the year, which you said are also just like very much like um, supporters of capitalism. Yeah, because it's the cruel. It's it's the idea of cruel optimism, right? It's kind of like you're talking about a country that literally. Um, so this year the. The statistics that get studied for like, like Japan's um, per capita income come out this year for 2020, and there was a big shocker this year because Japan finally got overtaken by Korea on a per capita basis, and there the fact that they have been declining on a per capita basis by 20 percent since 2020. I mean, since 2000, also came out. So it's kind of like, wow, like, let's support capitalism. And also, like, by the way, your wages have fallen 20% um, in real terms for the past, like, 20 years. There's nothing you can do about it because the majority of it is structural. Uh, so, yeah, like, whatever. Stay happy. <laughs> so, so... Um, so basically, I remember just like sending Hannah a Heisei Jump song called Sing Along a couple of days ago. And it was just like, come on, everybody, let's sing along. Life is beautiful, basically. And I was just like, Hannah, life is a gift. Let's be optimistic about it. After everything that's happened, let's be optimistic about life. And she was like, no, I'm not buying that. <laughs> so the thing is, though, is that when Ro was talking about, like, female idols, how, like, it's kind of, like, the pendulum has, like, kind of shifted um, to, like, something, like, some darker themes. With male idols, it seems as if, like, there has been a bit of, like, a dabbling. Like, there was, like, a Heisei Jump song this summer that was a bit like that, but most of it has, like, kind of just, like, stayed the same, as far as Johnny's, like, stayed the same with, like, kind of just, like, the... Can we be happy? Like the King and Prince song, basically. But can you really divorce that from BTS? I think without we're Dynamite... We're going to go into that, though. Yeah, but like, Johnny's is like that because Dynamite was the biggest song of the year. But the thing is, though, is Poor that were, they were like that still. Like, I think of just like Arashi songs like 10 years ago. I mean, like, idols have always been like the cheerleader types, like... Mm -hmm. let's be happy let's do whatever we want but like johnny's apparently didn't get the memo that like people are poorer now than they were in 2000 
So they just never change this. <laughs> for like boy idols too, though, compared to like female idols, there's less of a variety because like, yeah. you know, the couple pe- folks at the top are very dominant and we don't have those alternative faces to like kind of balance it out. So there's that too. For sure. Like, I mean, this is when, this is when Ronald goes, well, the Johnny's. The Johnny's, like, monopoly doesn't exist anymore. But, like, as weak as it is, it still exists. And for men especially, like, I hear Idolmaster, I hear Sidem, I hear, like, like, Idolish 7 and Trigger, and I'm just like, these are all Johnny's clones. I can literally tell you which Johnny song each one references. Like, the Niji Sanji one. When it came out, I was just like... This is a Johnny song. I recognize this sax intro. Wow. Let's shift off of Johnny's and talk about just like, because there were two, well, there was one boy band from last year, but like an, like a, like a bigger one, two bigger ones from this year that really like debuted and shook things up a bit, which would be Eni and B first. I mean, these are not Johnny's groups. So basically, to explain to people who don't know, Eni is basically the second season of Produce 101 Japan. So you have like a Korean company coming in. And then you have B First, which is kind of just like Sky High's reaction to mm-hmm. Japanese talent going to Korea and him wanting to keep them in Japan. I mean, I love the quote that you got from him being like, well, all these Japanese kids are leaving for Korea, so why don't they just stay here instead? Mm-hmm. Goodness. <laughs> As, um, the B that first is, is produced quote. by Taku Takuhashi. Is that was that, do I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Or Taku Takuhashi noted J pop sucks uh, quote <laughs> giver. Um, has actually come on as B first primary producer alongside Sky High, which I think uh uh good industry insider info that we can call a uh, uh rumor on this podcast is he was kind of just brought in for the original song but kind of enjoyed the project so much that he's decided to stay on uh that's uh what i've heard through the grapevine wink wink uh but yeah yeah it's interesting that it is uh, sort of clearly inspired by the sort of emergence of Korean companies actually kind of coming into Japan and playing within the J-pop structure itself, whether it's through, you know, JYP with Nijiyu or, you know, uh, CGENT coming in with these reality shows and building up J01, Ini. You also have the forthcoming, they're a little unrelated, but it's still a similar idea with Octopath. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is the song called? Like it's a bop. It's a bop. <laughs> it's a bop. All of it. It's all it's it's a bop. Jordan, Jordan flu game right here. Uh, it's a bop, but B first is really interesting because it is kind of both are inspired by that, but also a reaction of trying to be like, you know, we can do this on our own as well. We can we can greenlight our own Hulu series. We don't need the Hallyu financiers to come in and do it for us we can do that and put together a group that can uh 
to kind of get a lot of attention and kind of have a sound all its own. We don't, yeah, and it's interesting, the people involved are very kind of like, yeah, they've long been quite fond of K-pop, but also quite critical of where J-pop's been. I think that's interesting, though, because, I don't know, um, any, only there's only one single out, so it's hard to tell, and it seems very K-pop in the sense of, like, post-NCT, but I thought JL1 has a very, like, J-pop identity to them still that you don't, I don't know, it's very divorced, not too divorced from K-pop, but they can sound its own as J-pop. So mm-hmm. it's like really weird to have that reaction when there's really the only big post-produce one has been JL1. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. They have done a good job kind of balancing their identity. And I think that's something they're very aware of. Um, self-plug time. I had the chance to like interview JL1 earlier this year. And I think them being very aware that they're going to be compared to K-pop, they don't really want to dive too much into that. They're very adamant about, you know, we want the Japanese language to be something that gets mixed in the global pop, you know, lexicon. We want to represent Japan on a global stage. Um, You know, we're inspired by somebody like BTS, but we don't want to imitate them. It's kind of their company line. So... I think they, in particular, have done a good job of balancing it uh, while also offering a sort of alternative to the more traditional Johnny's pop that remains quite, you know, uh, ever-present in the Japanese market. So, speaking of B-first and going back to Taku, I've I've interviewed Taku twice so far. Initially, when, like, the whole, like, when, like, when the whole, like, fuck J-pop thing came out, I talked to him and then I talked to him again with Inflow. And the thing that he said is that he doesn't hate J-pop. He just wants it to be better. And part of that, um, I'm going to be honest, part of it seems seems to be him getting involved in it and molding it how he wants to be. Because I remember he did, he said like the whole like fuck J-pop thing. And then... A couple years later, he ended up going and producing for Heisei Jump. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I so, think he's produced for groups before that, too. He's, yeah. He's he open for that song back in the day. So the thing is, though, is that it just seems like it's just like a way of like, things can be better. Let me show you how they're going to be better. But the other thing, too, with B first is I feel like I've seen this show before. And I'm going to say how. It's AVEX. I feel like this is all just like AVEX being just like, oh, we had like a little K-pop trend in like pretty much like a decade ago, we had a K-pop trend and we got LDH to go and just like, you know, kind of like replace it. Oh, Patrick, remember when we used to talk about that and people hated it so much? (laughs) Oh, the hate. Hey, hey, look, let's take let's let's take a moment to appreciate e-girls who were truly pioneers in retrospect of all yes. of this. Thank um, you, Exile. I thank, I think. <laughs> thank you, Exile. Uh, thank you, Zoo. All those sort of things. But oh. well, I remember just like writing something. I wrote it in Japan Times uh, about Sendai J Soul Brothers, and it was basically like K-pop with Japanese faces. Is I think what I said, and people got so 
mad about that. But it was like, honestly, that is what I observed. Because it's just like, I always point to like, (laughs) I always point back to like literally Kohaku a decade ago. Three Korean acts were on in 2011. You had Toloshinki, you had SNSD, and you had Kara. Next year, no Koreans. There has not been a single fully Korean act on since 2011. The closest you've gotten is twice. And even they have been cut, right? Yeah. So now they're cut for Nijiu. Yeah. So the thing is, though, is that when I see B first, who is backed by ABEX, Going against K-pop, I'm like, ah, this just seems like LDH again. Who was backed by Avex and going against K-pop. I think it's a little more, especially with, you look at kind of Avex, I wouldn't necessarily say it's going against as much as it's kind of trying to work with, alongside it, maybe. Mm -hmm. Not like directly necessarily, though in some cases Avex did. Uh, I remember all the You Kiss billboards all over Aoyama. So, oh, and the thing is, though, is that when we think about K-pop, and this is something that Taku reminded me of, Avex is the reason K-pop became a thing in Japan to begin with, because of BOA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Toho Shinki, and then they were also, like, Big Bang, because the whole, like, YJX, YG, and Avex thing, which also brought us to anyone, it was just like... Avex, this is your fault, and now you're trying to, like, fight against it. Huh. Well, Avex, Avex is a whole different topic. <laughs> we want to get into that one. Oh. But, uh, but, um, but it is, I do think part of it, to be honest, is just, because looking back at the first half of the 2010s, I think people really did, just maybe the narrative of K-pop and J-pop at the time, they were presented as so, like, starkly different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would argue it was a very lazy media cliche, especially mm-hmm. in retrospect, mm-hmm. of like, Japan, AKB, uh, the idols are bad, she shaved her head, and then K-pop, like, it's the, the adult one that's progressive, question mark? Uh, but I think, you know, maybe it's people becoming more just nuanced about it. Like, it's just clear that we can see now how much interaction the two sides actually have, whether it's... Mm historical or yeah something like a jo1 where it's a very active partnership between the two countries entertainment companies within the countries and then there's the angle that hannah always likes to talk about which is like the financial angle i mean she's a capitalism it's capitalism (laughs) like that's the the tagline for this episode (laughs) (laughs) it's just Look at the money. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's also like let's let's just all it'd be like Takutahashi doing production work for like a SMOP or a B first. There's also like the yen that's pouring into his account. Like mm-hmm. he can buy so many Game of Thrones DVDs with that. It's great for him. <laughs> exactly. Like at the end of the day, you have to realize that a lot of this is just financial, right? They're they're not gonna do this out of the generosity of their heart. They're just doing it because the yen is great. <laughs> Merry Christmas, listeners. Pop is a lie. 
did it um be oh, first and any have like a they like they dropped that the same day you know and they're like a chart battle yep. almost yep it was right. a very very typical like, like try to be the blurred oasis of modern day j-pop boy bands. so me and hannah did the november podcast um like a couple of days ago and then so basically i'm gonna preface this with like the more things change the more they stay the same so basically it was a battle between any and be first and anyone like we're going to talk okay they're idols so look we're going to talk about numbers any i think did like nearly two hundred thousand, and then no you know be first did like nearly two hundred thousand. any did like five hundred thousand, and then like a week and a half later we get the debut of naniwa danshi the new johnny's group oh, and damn. they did they did be first's first week and their first day so yeah. This is a good reminder of Johnny's presence. Same. This is, uh, yeah, it's totally like, yeah, you looked at, because I think the total for the week for Naniwa was like 700,000 or something. Yeah, it was very close to Snowman's. And I was like, whoa, like, I guess people do really like really shitty Kansai mocking music. Yeah, I kind of. Is Kansai mocking? Okay, that is here. literally the most common comment about all the Johnny's Kansai groups. Just FYI, <laughs> self-aware. Yeah, this is, is a positive spin on it. <laughs> like, like um, Johnny's West and like Con Johnny Eight. They all have like a humor angle to them. Osaka, it's the funny city. We all know this. Uh, it's With totally that other conglomerate that we're not going to mention, right? <laughs> what other conglomerate? That other conglomerate that JO1 had to back themselves up with in order to have a fighting chance at anything. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> it took a second. But, um... Those people. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember, like, the other day, Hannah was just like, this is the year of boy bands. And then, like, if you look at the Oricon year-end physical chart, it literally is all boy bands. There's, like, it's all seven Johnny's groups, and then you get BTS and 17 twice. And we're not even talking about, like, the artist charts, which, by the way, this year have, because of the fact that there were so many lockdowns and the Olympics happened and everything, there's no longer, like, the usual fudgery of all the concerts that would normally go on, where, like, they don't sell out 100%. They only actually sold out 90% of, like, a smaller configuration. Like, none of that happened. Especially because BTS is actually banned from the country for the entire year. So, mm. effectively, when you're looking at a year where, like, the top five doesn't even include an Akimoto group for the first time in how many years? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very boy band heavy year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we talked about, like, the downer pop and the escapism, but, like, what were some, like other trends this year that you like? I mean, I know that Ro earlier mentioned, like, Japanese hip-hop. So, like, what were some other trends you guys like this year? Okay, well, but I, you forgot I, the biggest escapist. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, this year, 
Okay, so I can't usually talk about this because Ronald usually hates anime. Oh, BTS. Oh, they're going to talk about BTS. We're so going to talk about anime. Yeah, because we already we already did the BTS thing to death. Like they changed because of the pandemic. They decided to go full on Johnny's, but 2021 aesthetic of like dynamite and then butter. Oh my god, those songs suck. Um, I'm but- an army. I'm allowed to say it. Uh, <laughs> Everyone else is silent. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, the anime thing, because the thing is, though, is that like I got so I got so tired of like a, like a decade ago, people literally outside of Japan thinking um, the population is going down because the men would rather have sex with pillows. That's not true. But this year that actually holds a kernel of truth because the top video game for the year was a horse girl gambling game that. May or may not be on Kohaku. Now I'm more on the side of it's probably not going to happen, but we'll see. <laughs> They're on uh, Mo- Momoiro Clover's uh, year-end rent, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Momo Clover swoop- swooped in and got the, the vital one. No. So I'm going to have to watch Momo Clover, I guess, because I want to watch my horse girls. But it was also they very were- funny seeing the old Daiba race horse track on, like, FNS, I think it was. Mm-hmm, and I was just like, are you guys really advertising horse gambling? <laughs> like, if you want to talk about escapism, gambling is, like, the top escapist. Uh, well, yeah, and that's, if, if you really want to get into it, that's kind of a global trend, right? Because I feel America, with sports betting, has gone wild. Like, yeah, yeah, we've gone, like, crazy with the sports betting, and now we have we have our we have our horse girl gambling thing. And soon it will be like horse girls gambling at Kohaku. Oh, so no. like, where Don't does this into stop? existence? <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, could you do like a quick overview of, you know, we're talking a lot about a horse race and horse racing <laughs> girls, like, but maybe some of the listeners are baffled and confused <laughs> if they're perhaps hallucinating. Can you explain <laughs> to them what this is? <laughs> so long story short. Horse riding is a very popular activity on the fringes of Japanese society, much like pachinko. And somebody thought it would be a great idea to take all of the real horses that are currently actually racing and turn them into cute anime girls. And not just cute anime girls, but do like an entire, an entire video game and anime around this and be like they should be idols and they should sing why they thought this was a good idea i have no idea but the music is actually really good so um i guess it works like next we're gonna have convenience store girls or something actually that might that would be really oh my cool. god <laughs> 48 here we come hold on yes. actually, I, I gotta make a call to, to avex so one thing about Uemusume, um, uh, they went viral on TikTok, I think, of the trend of just like running like horses with the song. And I had no idea, no context. Like, why are people just running? And then it was just so bizarre. <laughs> the best part about it, though, is that the video game is not even so usually when idol anime girls release a video game, it's almost always a rhythm game. But they were just like, you know what? We're, we're horse girls. We shouldn't do a rhythm game. We should do an actual horse gambling game. Yeah. So they took the... There's a gaming trend called idling, where you set up your character, and then you just let it run. 
So they were like, let's make a better version of this with cute horse girls. And that was like the number one game this year. And I was like, I can't believe you guys have done this. (laughs) I thought gambling was bad. (laughs) So you decided to take gotcha, which is like gambling for three-year-olds and real life gambling and put it together. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to really, uh, oh, to really like underline it, like just from a totally personal place, like whenever I'm on the train now, like going anywhere, there's probably at least one guy. It's always a guy playing uh, <laughs> Uma Musume on like just on the train or at least watching it. I don't think you don't even play it. Right. I haven't. I'm always on the verge of downloading it, but... You should definitely play it. It is actually a very, very good game. But, like... It's also bad for your wallet. (laughs) Yeah, I went to an actual... I went to the horse racing track in Tokyo a couple years ago. And, like, I could tell, like, oh, I'll go bankrupt if I keep doing this because I'm loving it. Those are real horses. Digital ones, game over. Plus the like cute anime girls, and now it combines We're like YouTubers too. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, this is great. This is totally my thing, and I'm just like, so when is this coming to the U.S. again? <laughs> the the song that went like really huge this year though was not from this year, right? It was like a few years back. Yeah, so Uma Pyoe, uh is kind of like it's kind of like Snow Halation. Or like Kimikoko for Aquars, like that's the that's the essence of the of the horse girls, right? They do any concert, they open up with Umapure. There's like entire there's entire um like Annie was like Annie Wodoge around it. And I'm just like, that is the song that everyone knows. Oh, the Derby is starting. <laughs> And then, like, the thing is, the girls have the same bio as the actual, like, horses, right? So it's like... Yeah, there was actually a really funny one where I think one of the horses retired, and the fans of the anime girl in the series actually pooled money together for the horse or something, and I was like, you know they're not related. (laughs) So if the girl retires, does the horse retire too? No, the ho- I mean, if the horse retires, does the girl retire too? No, because then you'd get rid of the cash cow. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> cash horse? The real horse cash retired. horse, yes. Thank you. <laughs> There's no connection to real life. This is anime girls, Ronald. I'm anime so, girls. Anime, anime Anime confuses me so... <laughs> this I anime. This is almost like like bizarro metaverse stuff and i think what's most impressive about it is it has built this kind of expanded universe like the fact that anime characters who are also horses like can also be idols also be vtubers also be like an anime series literally it is kind of like this weird marvel thing to me it's like they've developed their own sort of track-based kwangya kwangya how do you say it Kwangya. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Like, it's it's interesting, because I do feel it reflects bigger trends that everyone's trying to get in on, which is these, like, uh, not to be too Elon Musky, but it is kind of the whole, like, Web 3, like, everything's yeah. connected, everything's, an, like, 
a different kind of escape, like truly from reality, because it's like, oh, cool, I can go to this colorful world and bet on horse girls. It's the worst because, like, uh, I so I got into Bang Dream because of Hannah. Um, <laughs> and yes, part, yeah, and then like dream. all the voice actresses in Bang Dream, like not all of them, but some of them, I think, are in the Uma Musume franchise too. So it's like yes, a web of franchises. So you just get pulled into every single one. Oh wow! Once you get into one, you can never stop. It just never stops. Like, once you have one Seiyuu favorite, you follow them to everything, and oh. then all of a sudden you realize you own 50 figurines and, like, 15 video games that you're wailing and cheering on. And then oh. you're just like, oh, it's all over. <laughs> like, I I like, I like kind of did a loose, like, browsing of D4DJ the other day. That was a very bad idea. Well, yeah, that's what where I, I... That's the quicksand for me, is the sort of, like you know maybe the, the voice actors is one gateway for me it's seeing all the producers who i remember from like oh yeah oh, like days. <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy or like you know going what's the other uh there's another like electronic music one right that like uh, proseka project sekai that might be it yeah um, that's the one I, with all the vocaloids so proseka is the one with all the vocaloids idol master is oh, the original don't tell record. me this <laughs> Proseka is really good. I will say. Real, I, will say I just don't need another thing to consume my life. <laughs> but Proseka also has Aimi in it, so I feel like this is more quicksand. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to say, like, idols will consume your life, but you have no idea until you get into anime. <laughs> I combine the two, and it's it's truly game game over. Again, Ronald, the the show is <laughs> I'm just getting again the theme of this episode is capitalism. Yes. <laughs> you can See, fight it, but cruel, you will not win. This is an example of cruel optimism. They show you anime girls that you can never get. <laughs> That's what it is. You can try gotchaing. Somebody, I promise, will try to gotcha for whatever the New Year's Eve thing will be, and it will be the the Grand Blue Fantasy Amaterasu Part 2 thing, where some poor poor dude is going to spend $5,000 and it will reach the ears of diet and they're just going to be like, okay, guys, you, you need to rein this in. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who do not know the story, a couple of years ago, there was a very famous incident where Grand Blue Fantasy or like some other game had a very, very rare, what's known as a combo drop. So you needed to build up four items to get to the max level of this item. And this poor dude spent like, I forget how much, two, $3,000 on pulls and got nothing. And now this is coming. <laughs> and what did he do that like it got died? So she just complained about it online, right? And he didn't think anything of it, but like it became such big news that it reached all the way up to the ears of diet. And they were just like, gaming industry, like, you know, you you guys have to rein it in. You can't do this. Oh, for those who do not know, diet is Japanese parliament. Yeah, yeah. Um so yes. Does any of this have anything to do with NFTs? There is nothing Not to yet. do with NFTs yet. <laughs> because I'm still... Patrick, I'm still, like, 
uh-huh. confused by the Sakamoto NFT because uh, as, yeah. as listeners of this show will know, there's a constant there's a constant Sakamoto versus Yoshiki battle on this show. <laughs> With me representing him and Hannah representing Yoshiki. And <laughs> I'm not that tied to Yoshiki ish. <laughs> Earlier this week, he announced that he was making an NFT of single notes of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. But it seems like the NFT is really an entry free entry fee, sorry to get a sheet, a piece of sheet music that he wrote of the song? Confusing. Just like NFTs. It's really, it's really funny that you mentioned that because when I saw that, I just got terror flashbacks to when I was trying for a Quar's, uh, a Quar's like Dome tickets, where in order to buy the Dome ticket, you needed to get the Chusen ticket first, right? And the Chusen ticket came at the wonderful price of $95 per ticket. Hannah, which do was not talk to me about going to go see them after what you did to me. I, okay, so to be fair, this was the ninth anniversary of Love Live. Good thing I didn't go, but like, I bought 10 Love Live DVDs for this. Listeners that was very painful. Know. Listeners probably know this story. In 2019, we were supposed to go to AX. I boarded the plane. Hannah didn't. Oh. I went for Eyes One. It was a better. It was she a better went to Kahan. She stayed in New York and went to Kahan. <laughs> but yeah, when you mentioned the NFT thing was like a two cent ticket, I just had PTSD. The mm. the flashbacks of entering in the codes just like flashed through my eyes. But everyone's so, doing NFTs now. Ugh, I, I'm still lost. I'm still lost. I'm still lost. I went, like I said, I went to Miami. I went to Art Basel, and like somehow ended up in like a, like a little mini NFT convention that was like taking up one part of the convention center. And this guy was just like, "If you join our NFT program, we can you can make your own NFT." And I'm like, <laughs> "Why would I want my own NFT? Like, doesn't it need to have a value assigned to it? Like, can I? Like, I, I it just it just confused me. I was like, I just want to look." At the art. I don't want to like make art that I can't hang up. Ugh, it's all confusing to me. As someone Lis- that listeners, lot- cut this part when Arama makes NFTs sometime <laughs> next year and play. Oh, like, keep oh no! At Ronald to remind him when. It yeah, we get the NFT. Well, you know what? We may end up making NFT. It will just be something else that I have to live down. Because <laughs> that is just like a blockchain. Yes. Um, so we talked about, um, this year, what do you see going forward into so, next year? So I know I this is hard to think about next year because of like, we don't know what's going to happen next year due to the pandemic. But, um, Hannah, what is something that you see happening going forward next year? So I keep on thinking that I'll know which direction the anime world is going to go in every year and then every year i am wrong so like next year like when i came into this year i was like bandery is going to be number one right like they were number one last year that's definitely going to happen again that did not happen uh umo musume came out of the left field and like destroyed everything so next year i'm really hoping that denumbu gets number one 
and like they get a really really good rhythm game producer like please side games um but i know it's not gonna happen because i've been wrong three out of three times so please listen to them <laughs> ha, but i'm just oh, sad no. go ahead <laughs> what do you see going forward i think in the kind of like the bigger picture j-pop realm i think you're gonna see just more and more artists who've been kind of like buzzed about you know and who i think in a non-pandemic time would have been kind of pushed even further mm-hmm. um i guess the immediate one that comes to mind is uh fujikaze mm-hmm. who is like as just announced yesterday will appear on kohaku this year which is a step forward on that front debut uh, music performance yes um, thank you nhk wording and <laughs> i think you'll see more kind of emotional variety um i think yoasobi is going to continue to be like a major presence and kind of seen as sort of a very pivotal act uh for j-pop as we know it in the 2020s but i do think it's going to kind of expand beyond that i think tiktok at least for the next few years is going to continue to kind of like i think it's going to start producing actual artists rather than just viral songs um you're already starting to see it with like quote unquote tiktok acts who are kind of slowly creeping to the mainstream uh the performer warts is a really good example of that and i think it's just yeah it's gonna j-pop is just gonna keep kind of like getting like it's been fragmented for the past decade it's only gonna keep getting there um, but at the same time, it's also just going to become more digitally savvy at long last. And I think you're definitely going to see more artists actually push to go abroad. Like, whether that is in America or whether it's, as we're seeing with a lot of sort of more like, uh, sort of like middle class J-pop acts, like more of them, of them trying to go to Asia, which I actually think is the smarter move. Like, I think that's going to be a big thing to watch. This sort of growth within Asia, especially the way anime continues to sort of carry artists outwards, even if it's kind of an accident. I remember a couple of years ago asking you, well, what do you mean, Patrick? Should it just be like a TikTok chart? Should Oricon make a TikTok chart too? And you were like... Oricon will get to that in 2030, don't worry. You're like, (laughs) they should make a TikTok chart. Well, and this year, the Korean charts have finally integrated Oricon. <laughs> I mean, uh, the Korean charts have finally integrated TikTok into their metrics, which means Nielsen is next. So the thing, the thing is, though, is that with me and TikTok, I'm just like, it's confusing to me because is that actual engagement of a song? So here is my counterpoint to that. Um, TikTok is because Spotify counts a listen at 30 seconds. Do you know what I'm about to say? Spotify doesn't pay as much. Well, nobody no, cares about no, no, payment. No, 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 no. That's something completely different. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What? Why do people still complain about short J-pop videos on YouTube? Oh, hell yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and... The TikTokification of Western music has resulted in songs being shorter 
than those short music videos. So I'll play the devil's advocate here because I think the key difference is the actual user of TikTok gets to choose the part of the song they want to play around with, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas with J-pop, when you got your classic uh, short version uploaded to YouTube, your one minute long preview of your cartoon song or whatever, like that was the company telling you like, this is the snippet you're going to get. Please enjoy it. Go buy the DVD, go buy the single if you want the whole thing. Whereas with TikTok, you know, people, I think, and this is a total like me being old read. So apologies in advance, young people, but it's just like maybe younger people maybe have less, they gravitate towards shorter things, but they get to choose what the shorter thing is. They have the power. Whereas like J-pop for so long has been like, no, we, we decide what you're going to enjoy in minute 30 second bursts. Hmm. Um, something else, I'm just like thinking now about Patrick's article again. You mentioned I'm Yon in your year-end article. What do you, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. How, you mentioned how she was kind of just like the first artist to really like embrace this downer aesthetic, but you said that basically the end is near for her. Well, not really, but kind of. Not really the end. It's more like, um... I think it's common in pop music just around the globe where somebody will be kind of at the forefront of something in this case, both like mood and distribution and like, you know, whoever comes next is going to have a better of understanding what to do and how to sort of like make it even bigger, uh, which is, I think what we saw with like Kenshi Onezu to a degree but also like Yoasobi and all the sort of adjacent quote unquote post vocaloid music that's sort of really risen up in the last few years. Uh, Amin's always going to be kind of like there. She's still on TV. She still sells mm -hmm. well. Her YouTube videos uploads do like very well. She's just not, it's, it's, you know, she's just not buzzed about because people are used to her, but that can obviously be a benefit too, because she can, do more, like, of whatever she wants without having to sort of be like, are you the next Yoasobi? Uh, uh, where's your anime video where they all look sad? Or, like, she has more artistic freedom, I think. And it'll she's going to be somebody who's interesting to watch moving forward because, like, she can choose. Does she want to kind of continue to be where I think she is right now, trying to be like, you know, I'm still a huge pop presence. How do I take advantage of that or is she trying to be like okay you know i have more i can do what i want do i want to become this type of artist do i want to become a i, I apologize for this comparison in advance do i want to be like an enon kawatani and just like do whatever i want do i want to like just invite park golf and metome to come on my albums and remix songs in the middle of the run play because like i can do whatever like do what how weird do i want to get so like she's in a really interesting spot because she's achieved all of this and she's not, she might not be at the center of everything anymore, but she's always kind of that shadow she casts over it is very present, I think. Now you have me thinking of the song that she made with Kine Rai. The uh, only yeah. song, the song that got me to re-listen to Hiraken after like 
10 years. <laughs> so, Patrick, now that you have basically called Aimeon the Japanese Billie Eilish, who is did, did I say Olivia, that? <laughs> who is her Olivia Rodrigo, the person that is going to come replace her? Do you see somebody? Is Olivia Rodrigo replaced Billie Eilish? Wow, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. She has. Okay. Well, sorry, Billie. Sorry, Billie Eilish. Who is the Olivia? That's a good question, actually. Man. Because you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of a topic that me and Hannah talked about, which popped up again because of the Oricon urine charts, where people were just like, even looking at like digital, not just looking at physical, but looking at digital too, people were just like, where are the women? Like you have Nogizaka and Hinatazaka and Otto, but then that's basically it. So where are the women? <laughs> Question we all ask. Uh, <laughs> it is, I think, you know, thinking of it from the perspective of like Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo, I feel like labels have just been always trying in Japan to sort of bring back that magic of the, you know, the big powerful singer, the big sort of individual presence of a female artist. Like... Um, hag years. You said it, not me. Oh, so it's a, it's a thing called hag Twitter, where basically it's like the people that are just like, oh, let's bring back Apex Divas, let's keep them going. So right, it's, it's a very joke on Twitter. So I feel like an Olivia Rodrigo type would be someone who's already kind of established, but kind of like is able to take it that next level. Like, I kind of think there's an alternate history where. What's her name? Kaylin Onzai? Is that oh, her name? No, not the... There's an alternate history where they actually handle that well. And, like, she becomes the breakout star of that Ayumi Hamazaki show. And she's able to sort of become this, like, big talent that, like Olivia Rodrigo going from high school musical, the TV show, I think, to, like, omnipresence in the global charts... Like you could have maybe done that, sort of had this sort of like, oh, I know this person from Japanese TV. Mm -hmm. Like, now they can become bigger. Like, they're the voice of something. It's going to be, it's about finding a new, like, a new person who kind mm -hmm. of is able to touch all of those, you know, TikTok, TV, traditional new, and then sort of just coalesce it into pop music. Do you know who, like, randomly popped in my head just now? That girl that was in that Netflix show, Followers, who's, like, randomly doing songs now. What is her name? Oh, uh, who is it? Eliza. No, Liza? Eliza? Oh, Eliza? that's right. She did just... Yeah. Because huh. she was in Followers with, um... Oh, you're right. Wow. C.O.B. No Campanella. <laughs> she, was, she was on FNS, right? Like not that long ago. Yeah, because I remember, I remember just like dead grandma, the 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 ghostly presence that is dead grandma. <laughs> um, he him just like messaged me on Twitter and being just like, this girl does Ringo better than Ringo does now, because she did um, she did I forgot what Ringo um, I think she did like 
modern Uchi sadistic on like mm-hmm. music station or something. He was like, this is better than Ringo's been in years. And I'm like, okay. But I was I just mean, like, he's she just, not wrong. She just popped in my head. I was like, wait a minute. That's not a bad person to sort of imagine that it could be, but it's going to be all about just like, I mean, honestly, it's about how much the labels that work with her, like how much freedom they give her to use social media and stuff. Because I, my image is with Olivia Rodrigo, she took off because there's also a lot of weird drama that was involved because that was driver's license, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, this is a, it's a relationship drama too. In real life, the guy made a response song that nobody watched, but. My God, I just got another election. I guess got an, I just got. Oh my god, I just thought of like another connection. Which also does the push into Asia thing, which we may be able to like theorize about. They're both half Filipino. So maybe Eliza can use that as her next promo ground. This is your pitch. <laughs> this is my pitch because you were talking about like being like a pan-Asian star. No, that's fair. Why not Evie? That's my question. Oh god, Evie. I'm just still like, I'm just still like you bringing up Kaylin. I'm like, not even Charlie XCX could help her. Mm, that's, you probably should devote like a serial esque podcast looking at the story of Kaylin. Because, uh, yeah, Avex. Graham to question mark. Um, but um, moving to Row now. Yeah, for the, I mean, we got kind of touched on this, but I feel like as like a hopeful thing to look forward to, I really want to uh, see more like Pan-Asian pop collabs because I know Patrick Royal has new newsletter uh, this year too, but we saw like a pretty interesting batch of them with uh, either Chelmiko working with Stamp from Thailand or the mm-hmm. Lus and Chelmiko back-to-back like covers. Uh, we saw, I guess, like Zion Teen, like Hoshino again, or... Um, can't I'm just like blinking out now, but basically like J-pop uh, artists collaborating with Thai pop, uh, Viet pop, uh, Mando pop, just like really just throughout Asia. It's like really exciting to see because those other things like definitely like Thailand has a lot of J-pop influence. They really like a lot of uh, Japanese pop, whether it be city pop or what's like a popular right now. So it's really like seeing that like uh, like dialogue going. So you brought up Thai pop, and I thought of something that I showed with Patrick a few months ago. Because Patrick was just like, Patrick was just like, yeah, there should be like more Japanese acts working with like Thai companies. And I'm like, Johnny's did it in 2005. Ah, there we go. Oh, did they? So um, everything is Johnny's. That's the lesson. (laughs) it's the new everything is akb which i like look at things sometimes and i'm just like patrick was right patrick was right don't whisper it scream it from the mountaintops patrick was right thank you i need all the help i can get it's my greatest victory of the past 10 years yes oh god let's not go into your bullying i am a bully for the right reasons. <laughs> okay. So I, to actually, there's an interesting thing there too, is 
you know, with Asia and sort of expanding there, I do feel like this year has seen companies realizing how much potential is there. Mm -hmm. And like, there's also a big question mark that I've been sort of looking into recently, which is China, the Chinese market. And you're seeing way more collaborations on that front. And we also had like kind of forgotten now, but we had sort of AVEX trainees going to China earlier this year and doing extremely well on mm -hmm. uh, the reality competition, one of them. And like that's actually an avenue for Japanese music now, especially, I, I don't know the specifics about the quote unquote idol ban in China. I think it's very fluid and always changing. But like, I kind of think Japanese rock is positioned to do quite well in a post-pandemic China. And I just know from talking to people that yeah, a lot of artists and labels are shifting their attention there. Especially since K-pop kind of lost ground there because they got banned. It's actually like, funny that you mentioned Japanese rock. Because what people forget about why Japanese entertainment became so big in Korea is not just because of the smuggling, like, prior to the dictatorship. It's also because ex-Japan was, like, the biggest thing since sliced bread in the 90s. Yeah, rock is, like, rock is the bedrock. Oh, God, I already hate I said it that. Rock is the bedrock of the, of, yeah, like, Japanese music's status i'd say i think it yeah. really has like and i think it's helped it in the west even when even you see like yo being used as a tiktok dance it's kind of like it stands out it doesn't sound like k-pop it doesn't sound like american pop or like lisa like, or any of the it's really mm -hmm. funny like all of the big it this year's spotify like top j-pop hits outside of japan was really funny because the top three completely changed yeah. As compared to like most other years. Like most of the years, like only one or two songs change. This year it was really funny because like three of them changed. And I was like, whoa, that's that's unusual. Um but it's also hilarious because in a way I feel like rock like the Chinese party is more sympathetic to rock than it is idols. At the moment. Is it yeah. Because, At the like, I remember watching, I watched Fox News for the comedy aspect, but I remember um, just, like, one day being, like, half asleep and, like, just, like, seeing TF Boys on Fox News, and I was just like, huh? What? And they were just like, China is banning sissy idols, and I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. So do you think the fact that, like, because Rock doesn't really have that sissy aspect, as Fox News says, that they would do better? No. So talking to Chinese legal experts, the main thing that they really hate about idols is that they are famous for the sake of being famous, right? That's yeah. fundamentally what idols are about. And China has always, the Communist Party has always really, really hated that. Anybody who is famous for the sake of being famous is somebody that they will literally hunt down. So, like, the influencer that got hit with a $210 million fine, which I've never heard of for a tax evasion scandal, um, that's very odd. But then when you think about it from the perspective of 
they hate people who are simply famous just because a lot of people know them, then Mm -hmm. it all makes sense. And rock is less about like, you're famous because you're, you're famous and more like my music is good. The music is number one. And so they're more okay with that. Like they play the drums. They actually have a skill. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. So what is a trend? Okay. So I think we all know where this is leading to for me. Basically, the thing is, though, is that for so long, people have blamed all of like the woes of Japanese music expanding internationally on one company. And that is Johnny and Associates. But this was the year that they actually said, well, last year too, but like this is the year they really have like started doing more where they're just like, hey, there is an outside world. Let's try to talk to them more. And I think like my personal highlight of the year was the fact that just like I actually got to like interview a Johnny's act. Like, I didn't imagine that would happen, but it actually happened. And I was just like, okay, wow, they actually are making an effort. So the thing is, though, is that it's not really about Johnny's, but the fact that, like, this company that was blamed for holding back Japanese music so much is actually turning its head to the world. It kind of makes me excited to see... Well, if, like, the one that was holding everything back apparently is willing to do this, what else is everyone else willing to do? But are they really? I challenge you on that. I think they're more favorable towards media companies, but I don't actually think they're more favorable towards uh, foreign fans, let us say. Well, I do think... You're always like, a good fan would buy the CD. I don't even have a CD player. I can't even rip it. Like, I haven't owned a CD player in 10 years, man. Mm-hmm. Did I own one in college? No. Um, I don't think I've owned one in, like, 15 years. Uh, so it's kind of like, if I'm a foreign fan, like, I can't even buy your stuff digitally. Like, why should I follow you? Because the thing is, though, is I think about, like, K-pop fans. And K-pop fans very often do buy physical. Because they They'll want the buy photo. physical, but they also, like, with the physical, you get the digital assets, right? Mm-hmm. That is not something that Johnny's will provide, ever. Not over their dead bodies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe we just have to wait and see. I don't know. I would um, say there's a lot of kind of with Johnny's in particular. First off, I think it's a very like group by group thing. Like it's a lot of sort of groups deciding like, what do we want to do? And having sort of that, not, I don't want to say freedom exactly, but it's kind of like, if you really want to try to go overseas, we'll maybe start working on something. mm -hmm. And I just think they're just compared to the past. Like, not looking at sort of the media access or media interaction element of it. Like, I do think they're more open about it. Uh, Like, uh, trying to actually be something that fans can access more directly. 
Um, but I do think it's going to be a lot of growing pains. It's going to be a lot of baby steps, you know. But I do think it is noteworthy them launching a like English Twitter account. Like that is a big step for them. True. And ultimately, they have to figure out, yeah, how much are they willing to commit to how things are done outside of Japan? Like, is the risk reward worth it for them? And that's a huge like question mark. But. I do kind of agree that them loosening up, uh, even in the small ways that they are, is a pretty big shift and quite telling of where the industry as a whole is kind of moving. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I know that Johnny's doesn't control this completely because part of it is like TV acai. But the thing is, though, is that, like I mentioned before, Dr. Thomas Bowdenet, he, the BL specialist, he tweeted the first time that he watched Kita Hatsukoi, which stars one person from, um, it stars um, Meguro Ren from Snowman and Michieta Shunsuke from Naniwa Danchi. The first time he watched it, it was a fan subbed version that he illegally downloaded or legally streamed. And he's like, now the show is over, it is actually streaming in Asia on Netflix and it's subbed. And now you can watch it outside of Asia on Viki, the Asian drama streamer subbed. So he's like, wow, the fact that they went from like not being able to watch outside Japan legally subbed to being able to watch it on actual streaming services subbed in the course of two months is a step. And I'm just like looking at that tweet. I'm like, yeah, that actually is a step. So like, imagine what else, not just them, but like other companies could do. Like we got a Yoasobi English album this year. That was a terrible English album. I pretend it did not happen. Um, But the thing is, though, is that would anyone had expected that progression to come so quickly? Like, like this time two years ago, they were like starting, starting. And then like in less than two years, it went from like nothing. Well, the album came out in October, I think. They went from like nothing to an English album in two years. Yoasobi is special because they're they're specifically positioned in that intersection between like J-pop, Vocaloid, and anime fans. And then <laughs> all the VTubers covered them. I mean, every single look up Yoruni Kakeru VTuber, and every VTuber has actually covered their song, right? Mm-hmm. All the VTubers literally had their own like little Yoasobi hierarchy. So mm-hmm. they were simply responding to demand. You could make the argument that like it's unique that unlike in say 2008 when like. Arashi was literally the biggest thing since sliced bread for a lot of Asian high school girls, my, myself included. Um, Arashi didn't care about us, but Yoasobi does care about us, right? Like, I feel like that's the main difference. Mm-hmm. So it's whether or not Japan is ready to capitalize on that opportunity now. I'm just going to throw this out there, but like, who else could you actually see making an English album that is like, a new trending act today. Everyone feel free to answer. I agree with Eve. That's a good call. Uh, alternate answer. Sakai no Owari did it. It's a great album. Check it out. 
Sekai no Awari is like kind of. I do think if Jujutsu Kaisen does another season, which they will definitely do, and France continues their 300 euro subsidy of every French weeaboo's manga habit, um, I think, and Sekai no Awari decides they want to do like another anime ending, that would be a great place for them to do it. But until then, I think it's Eve. I feel like it'd be someone like anime related though, because they would need yeah. that audience yeah. beforehand. So I was like, just like pondering it. I don't know if Lisa could do it, but like, Lisa again, would. Just, <laughs> just, just like, um, I think just anime related would be the most like safest answer for this question. I have an unsafe answer, and I think Are when I explain the no, I'm not going to say them. I have an unsafe answer, but when I actually explain it, you guys will probably be like. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> this is your it's a bop moment that you're calling it? That we're going to no. get this? No, no, no. <laughs> Fujikaze. Uh, <laughs> Considering that the deluxe version of his album comes with an entire English album of covers, including his Ariana Grande cover, Be Alright, which I actually is probably my most played song of his. Because I thought about this. When that whole AEG thing was being talked about earlier this year, I said to Hannah, I was just like, what if like they just sent Fuji Kaze over to like be the opening act for people? And he just did like English language covers of songs. I feel like, just, like he could, but like who's to the his crowd. audience? That's the question. That's the question that needs to be answered. Adele fans. What? They have Adele though. Like, why would they want to go to a Adele's opening act? I mean, they tried like, like Lady Gaga tried that and it didn't work. With Crown Pop, they tried that with like Crayon Pop, Baby Metal, and then. Well, you can't say Baby Metal didn't catch on. Baby Metal caught on in spite of Lady Gaga. But that is my guess because, like, the way that they are, even though Hannah is just like, oh, he was always signed from Universal from Jump. Oh, industry plan. He is an industry plan. Wow. That he was is like Bori Oshi to death and back. That was my throw out there simply because of just like, the way that he is being positioned and the fact that he actually can speak English. I think Hoshino Gen could do it. Hoshino Gen definitely could do it. Hoshino Gen definitely wants to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but Hannah, who is his audience? We went to his concert in New York and we were the only two non-Japanese people. I literally made the comment that all the instructions should have been in Japanese because there were five english-speaking people in the audience and everybody well, else is japanese well the merch table was was cash only who in, who in who in new york is going to a, a cash only merch table in when 20, was that show 2019 2019 okay the last concert i went to october 2019 it was filmed in 8k for nhk i feel like um 
I'm so sorry. But like Hoshinogen and Fujikaze, if they try to make an English album, it would be like cut like Kadanzai in Japan. It would drop and no one would listen. I I You would be the I, one listener. Congratulations. I don't know. I just see them like maybe positioning him in a way. Positioning I mean, him for who? I, I don't know. I don't so this, know. I, I mean, this is a lot of like, yeah, it's kind of not clear, I guess. You know, you say like, who is the audience for it? But I do think you can find, and I think this is the strength of Japanese music in 2021, is like, you can find a good niche for these artists. Like, for sure. And for sure. I do think a big shift that's happened is like, I kind of think how you define success has changed quite a bit. Like, Sure, there's going to always be people who are like, oh, it's not as big as BTS, so it's like a failure. But it's like, okay, cool, that's nothing. Literally nothing is close to BTS. By that metric, most K-pop is a failure in America. So, like, to me, it's sort of readjusting that. And I could see a world, and I kind of think during the pandemic, Hoshinogen kind of realized this, where it's like, you can align yourselves with sort of, like, a certain type of artist and be in the same zone as them. So, like, with Hoshino Gan, it's, like, he remixes Dua Lipa. He goes on, like, the Zane Lowe show. And he's kind of presenting himself as, like, a 21st century Hosono, which has always been his thing. He wants to be, like, I'm just as playful as Hosono was in the 70s. Like, Mm. I will do these, like like Koi, a fun little pop song, but then I'm going to pivot and work with Pumpy, or I'm going to make these really, like, grown-up R&B songs, or even the stuff he put out this year, which was quite different sonically. Mm-hmm. So there is a way to position yourself, I think, as, like... Actually, speaking through it, I realize how you would sell these artists. You sell them as the sort of 21st century versions of all the sort of, like quote-unquote, new music, city pop artists people have kind of developed a cult following for. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like, you just present them as like, and this is a strength of Japanese music. You present them as kind of auteurs of their sound. They will try a lot of stuff. They're very adventurous for a pop artist. And like, you try to hit that crowd who's maybe not interested in the sort of synchronized boy band kind of sound but they're looking for something maybe more mature. Maybe that's where the Adele thing comes in. Actually, this is how I would pitch it. <laughs> actually, now that you, how... like, mention it, I do remember thinking the completely left-field thing that I realized was that all of my friends somehow knew Chamina. Oh. <laughs> and yes. I was just like, how the fuck do you guys even know Chamina? Like, these are not... Some of them weren't even weebs. I was just like, wait, what? Like, I, I loved her album too, but like, how the hell did you find her album? It was yeah, from like, her song, Fucker. I like overseas people like Chamina more than domestic uh, yeah. Japanese people. Yeah. I, I will admit, I will admit, um, I have a bad impression of Chan Mina because the first time I ever saw her was because she had a song, which basically the song was called Fucker. And like the whole course was just like, fucker, 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 fucker. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? This is so bad because like I'm in the position of just like, sorry, 
like Odorama would post Ko and be like, this guy's so horrible. He's trash. Like, eh, eh, eh. and I'm just like, Japanese hip hop can be good. And then you have Chen Mina popping up doing a song that's just like the whole word, the whole chorus is the word fucker. And I'm just like, oh my God. Okay, but her songs this year were really good. She had a really great year. Yeah. Yeah. Like she released two albums and they were both amazing. Oh, going to like Patrick's point, like Anon Kalatani definitely could be like the 21st century, like, ge- like studio mm-hmm. genius kind. If he hadn't had that scandal, he would be because people yes. would have <laughs> absolutely right showered him with like just and they were before that happened. I remember the lead up to that that guest uh Ryose by like the Guess Who album. It was just kind of like, this guy's a genius. He's doing so much. And like, yeah, that's definitely like a lost history. So it feels like the Fuji Kaze push. It yeah. is a Fuji Kaze push. They mm. probably screened him before and was just like, oh, let's make sure that he doesn't cheat on anyone. Because the thing is, though, is that, like, I'm thinking about it, like, the whole YouTube music artist to watch, like, English language interview that they were posting on YouTube and promoting on there, like, him being in every issue of GQ magazine around the world as, like, Japan's yeah. single artist to watch, um... What else? That article that came out that I got crucified about because people thought I wrote it. And I'm like, no, this is a reposting. Like, I literally wrote an intro from something that Nippon.com wrote, which appeared in some Japanese magazine calling him the next Yutada Hikaru. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I got that. killed for that. But Patrick, one thing I wanted to say about English albums, thank you for making an argument for the English language Sero album. The English language Sero album? Yes. Oh, Sekai no Awari, right? No, Cero. C-E-R-O. C-E-R-O. They have an English language album? <laughs> no, but you talking about just like, oh. oh the new okay, I got I'm it. Like, you I basically I made an argument for that. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of something which you like didn't want to talk about, but then you did when the year ended, which was... Who was supposed to release an English album last year, or at least like advance internationally last year, but then the pandemic halted it? Yeah. Brad Wimps? That, no. that would be a little band called Official Higedondism, which, oh. and I can, like, it's, talk about, like, moments lost to history. I was talking to somebody who works in the Japanese music industry, who remained nameless, uh, before the last big show I saw before the pandemic started, which was Perfume at Tokyo Dome, February 2020, right when Diamond Princess was popping off. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like, they were saying, like, oh, official Higedondism really wants to, like, do shows in America. They really want to try to do English language music. They really want to kind of, like, see what they can do. Um, Of course, within the next two days, everything changed. But, yeah, they are a band that's kind of, like, ambitious about that. And I think they're also aware that they have a sound that stands out in Mm -hmm. sort of the global pop like uh mixture i guess you could call it like and i do think they'll pick that back up i mean they're already kind of like getting attention i know i don't know how you know the veracity of this award i don't know how much like faith you want to put into it but they are the apple music artist of the year in japan and that means they get to get a big like english language feature out of it um i actually do give that a lot of credit because 
I am a lot of people do listen to that. And when I am in Europe, I hear her a lot in like different Mm -hmm. countries Mm -hmm. in Europe. And she won the French award. So I'm just like, ooh, this actually means something. Because this actually reminds me of something, Patrick, that you wrote, where you were just like, I feel mortified. We're just referencing things I've written. (laughs) There was that really good piece where you were like, oh, like, K-pop has that polished look and J-pop has that, like, very, very authenticity, like, first take thing. I was like, that's true. Like, even for the idols that get really big overseas, you don't see the super polished, like, Niji Yu's going, exploding. You see, like, Bish or Keakizaka. Mm -hmm exploding because people think they're quote-unquote more authentic than even the k-pop idols that they follow i have a ton of friends who like follow k-pop idols and then i show them kayakizaka and they're like oh this is cool let's go uh, go for it let's go back a couple of years ago to an act which i which revived themselves this year, and I'm just like, ooh, this is better than the things you were putting out right before you ended, which will be Silvino Campanella. Yeah. The okay. year of Kemochi. This is true, actually. We were talking about Otto Hirai Ken earlier. I mean, Kenmochi stepped up and delivered a an absolute gem for Hirai Ken with 1995. But I Literally, think like Kemochi got hired as a main producer for Denonbu, and I have never been happier. God, Kenmochi, it's so funny that Kenmochi's done this. I remember talking to him a few years back, and he's so somebody you don't expect to be in the, like, J-pop system, even as a producer. Like, in Nakata, I guess, like, in Nakata, you, like, can kind of see he's always wanted to be that big. Like, Hidefubi Kenmochi is just, like, a chill guy who, like used to just hang out with new Jabez and is now just like, yeah, I guess I'm making J-pop. It's cool. I pray for the day he becomes our new Tetsuya Komoro. <laughs> Kemochi Hirofumi? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I he have to say... us back to the promised days. He... He's like... Uh, I mean, he's doing to what uh, Komuro did to like Eurobeat to like footwork and like, um, like Guam, like Guam, yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) Like, yeah, no, he is kind of he is doing a good job of kind of smuggling more international ideas into J pop. Um, he's still lacking kind of like, uh, well, he kind of had it with some of the Siobi stuff back a couple years ago when they were really like actually getting on music station and like Smop mm. was hanging out with them but yeah he's still lacking that like one huge hit that i think you kind of need to be like this is my this is my this is my mark on j-pop who does he give the hit to oh man uh who's gonna hire him Denonbu, Denonbu. My friends have literally played 75 hours of Denonbu, all of them combined. Um, like, that's across five people. The, the top five fans that I know. And I can tell you, they all tell me, like, 
yo, like this one girl songs are really, really excellent. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's Hidefumi Kemochi. You should listen to him. He's amazing. <laughs> Has he done a song with the Johnny's group? I don't know. Oh, man. He really should. Like, that no. doesn't sound too far-fetched to me. No, honestly. not at all. Now, that's like, now, yeah. I'm, now I'm thinking of what Hannah said the other day, which was, why didn't Avix just give that Charlie XCX song to Snowman? I'm like, ooh. But that they really should have. Okay. Wow. I, like I will be music. sad. <laughs> so finally, the Johnny's PC music. Blurring. I was, I was waiting for I mean, had a Nami, I'm, I'm Ronami, I do uh, with Sophie, so why not? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, hey, Avex was almost already there, so. I love how we're just doing consulting for Avex tonight. <laughs> well, I mean, they wouldn't be able to afford it if we charge them oh. for it. So, like, it's good we're doing it for free. <laughs> it it, it reminds me of the April Fool's Day joke that I made, which actually managed to make it to, like, the hip-hop YouTube channels, which was just, like... Kodakumi and Nicki Minaj are collaborating and like actually like gossip YouTube channels in the US like got on it and like made videos and they were just like we have reached out to Kodakumi's people about this collaboration but no work no word has been received yet but we'll keep you posted and I'm just like it was an April Fool's Day joke <laughs> and then people were just like Avex should probably just like get on that though I mean if she's doing songs with just like flop girl solo girl groups from like the uk she can do a kodakumi song well in 2022 she probably could so but um winding down our session i have i want everyone to name actually wait before we do that is there any other topics you guys want to discuss before we like wind it down i forced my horse girls into this conversation i am very pleased did um so i want your favorite song your favorite album and something you didn't like about this year hannah you're first okay so the night tempo album which i will i'm gonna pull this up right now was definitely my favorite yeah that one that brought back uh bonnie pink Mm -hmm. for the first time in years that was just an amazing album. I super loved it. Can I Everyone's actually, can, if we're going to talk about things that are coming in the future, like, I actually think this is a really good thing to jump off of. Um, like, first off, full disclosure, like, um, I work with Night Tempo as the, I, I write the official, like, PR for this album. And I did, like, an <laughs> artist interview with him. Uh, so I was able to kind of, you know, pick his mind about it. And something that I think Night Tempo deserves a lot of credit for is he's very good at getting a gauge of where internet culture is at. Um, he's extremely online, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. And as his, like, he obviously was on top of the city pop renaissance on YouTube before a lot of people. Um, he is very adamant with this album, and I kind of see this becoming true. Um, he really wants to title this a, his words, not mine, Shibuya K album. And he sees, he sees this as the next thing that deserves attention, which is that, you know, we need to look at the 90s. 
And I think in particular, the smartest thing about this album, and this is not the part where I was paid to talk to him speaking, is him working with Makinomia is really smart. Mm. I kind of think we're in line for a Pizzicato 5, like, reappreciation. Um, just because the fact I that they put all the compilation albums online for, exactly. hey, new listeners. Exactly. So, like, and I think it's a logical next step from where the whole city pop thing was because the Pizzicato Five were like literally city pop at first. And then mm-hmm. they evolved, or not evolved, they sort of changed what they were doing and pioneered something different in the Shibuya K realm. So like this album to me, knowing that Night Tempo is at least kind of like, I would say a couple steps ahead of where internet trends go. Like, I kind of think this is something to keep an eye on, just like how the 90s are kind of once again like reinterpreted by people, especially after a year where like we now like have to pretend Cornelius doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, how are we going to rewrite the history of Shibuya K? It's like, all right, here's our opening. And I think Ladies in the City is a really good like, you know, preview of where things could go, both domestically and in sort of like the constant discovery state that people on the internet want to like encounter Japanese music as sorry to jump in but I was just like oh that's a really good thing that you mentioned that's the thing though like isn't Pixicado 5 the perfect alternative for Cornelius oh absolutely I mean they even figured it out at the Olympics when they referenced it in the closing ceremony like it's just like go to them in the first place. Don't go to Cornelius. Even before then, because the thing is, though, is that the closing of the Special Olympics in Rio in 2016, um, Ukigomo from, um, from, oh my God, I just blanked Tokyo Jin, he actually covered a Pizzicato 5 song in 2016 at the closing of the Rio Olympics for the kind of like transition into Tokyo. Hmm. And I'm just like, now I'm excited because, like, maybe we will get a second look at one of my personal faves from that era, Kahimi Kari. Mm. Cornelius' like, girlfriend, which apparently he was not that great to. Uh, well, <laughs> that's not surprising. But, like, I feel like Night Tempo's thing about the 90s is so apt. Also because, so... It's been, what, almost 30 years since the 90s. And the 90s is when Korea kind of, like, rediscovered Japanese music. So I feel like there's going to be a huge surge of nostalgia just in general over there. So expect a lot of SMAP and extra Pam memes to start coming out. <laughs> what, was the, what was the one song? There was one J-pop song, maybe not the 90s. So, Sukurambo. That's uh, it, that. Oh, the Ayotsuka song? Yeah. Right, that becoming a TikTok hit in Korea. I forget if it was the, the start of this year. entire year. I think it's still there. <laughs> and I feel actually, that's another canary in the proverbial pop coal mine to sort of I like... Think keep... She actually ended up performing it on Music Station Super Live today because Wait, of really? that. Yes. Because Every they, person they in Korea off. knows this song. I'm just like, I haven't listened to this song in like 15 years, but why do you know this? 
Yeah, they picked her for the show. I remember like reading this now and like when I was doing this show, they picked her doing that song because it was one of the shows that represents, it was one of the songs that represents the 35 year history of Music Station. That makes Mm. sense. And just like the first time, because if everyone remembers, Sakurambo like charted on Oricon for what, like 50, 70 weeks? It also charted on TikTok for like 70 (laughs) weeks and counting. Something else with the Night Tempo album, which we did not discuss, too, is the Inter-Asia collaboration, mm-hmm. which we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. So that like, right... Is he J-pop, technically? Like, it's, it's, it's so weird to define. Yeah, it gets because, really confusing, because he... I mean, the album yeah. came out on uh, Universal, which is obviously Universal Japan, which I guess is J-pop. But yeah, it features all kinds of yeah. I mean, he's obviously in South Korea, so it is kind of this weird blurring of borders. Mm-hmm. It's very internet, I guess, is what we should really think of it. Which mm-hmm. is yeah. Get him to come to New York and have a show because he had in LA recently, but not in New York. Get him to come. Oh, are you, t- are you addressing me? Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, e- I'll email the manager. That is in his see what ear. I can do. There's the man in New York. Set up a Rama party. You can host it. Oh my God! Rama presents ladies in the city. A Rama presents ladies. That sounds like my Sex in the City spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hannah, song favorite song. Okay, so for favorite song, it's really funny. I was like thinking about who epitomizes like my song of the year and ronald was like oh do you think all anime related songs like do mega hits and i'm like no like some of them barely crack 5000 units and unfortunately this is one of them but serizawa use everybody everybody which nampa sense was like oh do you realize that like both of them are actually um the people from every little thing i think and i was like really it's been like 20 years since they came out. And this even sounds like Eurobeat. And she's like, yeah, DJ Koo and stuff. So I was like, whoa, this is such a throwback. So I'm hoping that next year we rediscover the 90s and early 2000s. Oh, my God. Eurobeat revival. Yes. <laughs> I'm ready. Let us take a moment to, you know, we talked about Amiens kind of like influence leading the way. Let us now hope that Da Pump uh, with USA was really pointing us towards a brighter future. Yes. It's a pump is the future. Like, I don't want to wake up. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to stay in that nice USA dream. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Thing you did not like this year, Hannah. The boy bands were so boring. I can't believe it. Like, you're really going to tell me that Butter was the most played song this year. I just want to cry. That song is not great. Okay, so the thing is, though, about Butter, which I will say is that, like, I will say, like, the charts kind of confuse me because Butter got to number one on Oricon because, actually, funny enough, because of the physical release. (laughs) Well, true. Like, you're really going to tell me that BTS managed to overcome their huge scandal in 2018 because of dynamite and butter. 
I remember that because when that happened, I was in Osaka. Every day, I would get up and go to the train station, and I would see the damn BTS ad on the poles in the train station, little video screens. That came out the next day; they were gone. Yeah, and like not just that, but like not just them. Like King and Prince was worse this year. Snowman was worse this year. Stones was worse this year. I was just like, why are you guys topping everything and yet releasing worse and worse stuff? Magic Touch, the controversial, the most controversial. Magic Touch is nothing compared to Maji Night from last year. No, but the thing is, though, is that the fact that like Magic Touch ended up like, as you said, which I actually kind of see your point, um, opening up the conversation about anti-blackness within the Asian idol community. Oh my God. Which is true. Just FYI. But like my main complaint is that they literally print cash. So like they should be like the, the female idols and just do like create wonderful music with that cash instead of giving us rehashes of songs that nobody remembers. Okay. Hateful, but moving on to Ro, your turn. Oh, favorite, favorite song thing you did not like this year? For favorite song, my favorite song of the year is Hoshinogen's uh, Fushigi. Um, I like how kind of low-key it is. It really just grew on me over the years. First, I was like, oh, it's a fine little song. Now it's like the most like most played, like really important. Uh, it's just a really nice song. It's, and then just really wholesome, really, um, really sweet. Um, just about like spending the moment with somebody, uh, just trying to figure out your feelings for somebody, just all that in like real time. It's kind of, um, and it's not as poetic and as you would think. It's very just casual, like that's just really nice, fitting for him. And it's, I, I like thinking of it as his song to about uh, Yui Aragaki, his like new new wife, but mm. apparently it's not, but. Just all these things. It was just really his year, um, I think, for Pops. And just a really good song to represent him, too. And album? An album, my favorite. Um, I'd go back and forth. But for today, I think I'm going to go with the uh, new uh, Pasacom Music Club album, Sea Voice. Um, it's really it's really interesting. You, see, you like think of him as them as, like, Synth Withers is like tech obsessed kind of like kind of nerdy geeky uh act duo, but this one's really like into like more like outdoorsy kind mm. of a lot of airy sounds. Um, I like it think of it as a cover cover to their previous kind of ambience, which is like just greenery. Um, it kind of represents that. It seems kind of like pandemic-y in the sense that you're indoors uh dreaming out about the outdoors it seems very like intimate kind of folk influence singer songwriter influence like one of the guys from mitsume is in there as a vocalist is very like meditative introspective in a sense and just sort of like yearning for company with you and like you know a memory of a person so it's very like sentimental and sort of you know like natural sounds i guess but yeah, just like a touching album that's like a little bit different from what they're really used to. But that's like one of my, that was probably my favorite album other than like the For Tracy Hyde album. And something you did not like this year. I like, 
I it sounds like a cop out, but I can't really think of something that I didn't like. Um, That's yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick. Okay. Where do I where do I start? Album. Album. Okay. Something we haven't. I mean, you know, we've spent this entire podcast talking primarily about J-pop. You know, all the different directions it's going in. Uh, on a totally personal level, though, this was the year I really kind of reverted back to my 2010 self, where it was like I spent the most time on SoundCloud, the most time on Bandcamp. To me, like indie music in Japan is having this really great moment. Uh, we've touched on it a bit, whether it's kind of the quote unquote hyper pop sound emerging and kind of mutating in its own way. Or just like a new set of voices coming up and taking familiar ideas and just finding completely new ways to project it. Which is why my album of the year comes from a, uh, it was the debut album from a band called Miss Machine. A kind of like, kind of a group that exists in the Koenji, Ian Martin universe. So... It's true, and it's it's great. It's a real return to form. Um, it's a great album that is not only a nice reminder of how like forceful and powerful a rock album can be, um, especially when we're mostly confronted with kind of like funkier city popish stuff nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like I love how it's taking the past ten years of internet music culture and kind of fashioning it into something. New. I mean, I had the chance to talk to the band uh, for the Japan Times, and they love Witch House, the 2012-2013 era blog-adjacent internet subgenre, and they just absorb that. They absorb heavy metal, they absorb uh, dance music, which is a real, like, early 2010s thing that was big in the indie scenes out in Tokyo. So that album's great. It has a great dark atmosphere to it. It's very Nordic, like I only see the sun two hours a day kind of vibe, which I think is very fitting for 2021. Uh, uh, Yeah, I highly recommend that to anyone. And it's a great gateway into just a fantastic year for Japanese indie rock and indie electronica. I have to check this out now because you said Witch House and I was just like a really big Salem fan. Oh boy, well. I just downloaded it on Spotify. Go see Salem live And it was an experience Was it like the Fader Fort video? (laughs) It was just It was like a dark room And they were on stage And it was just like flashing lights And just like long hair shaking And like growling God what good days man This is the year yeah This is the year I go for nostalgia Where it's like we need Chill Wave back We need C-Punk Bring it back everybody Especia. Please. Do you want another two hours added to this podcast? Let's not start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ro, did you just say something that you you thought of something else? Oh, no. I just co-signed the Miss Machine album. I heard it because of Patrick, and then that's it's a really great one. Okay, Patrick. Song. Song, uh, pivoting back to the mainstream for sure, it's a song that actually hits on a lot of the trends we've talked about, but in a way where it's not aligned with you know what was we're talking about really um that would be utari karu's one last kiss uh a masterpiece from them 
And part of that is just because it's such a well-constructed song. Uh, Utada works with A.G. Cook, the founder of PC Music, and they just create, you know, A.G. Cook's really known for these maximalist, like, almost, like, it almost feels like it's parodying, like, European pop music from the 2000s at times. But on this song, it's very restrained. It's about using space to maximize the emotions, which are... You know, in a year where we talk about escapism and gloominess and sort of being even angry at times, like, Utada is just so mature on this song. It's about celebrating transience, like, of how everything ends. But hey, that's fine. We just have to savor every last kiss, really. And it works perfectly with the music. It was the theme song for the biggest movie of the year in Japan, which happened to be an anime film, which ties us to our entire anime conversation. Ah, uh, it's Evangelia. just exactly, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's let's not sleep on it. And like, yeah, just I think truly beautiful. It's the best song I've heard. Period. All year, like. Yeah, like I feel I'm out of words describing. Just like, yeah, it's great. It makes me feel. Yeah, life. It's complicated, but great, huh? Right? And something you did not like this year. Classic Ronald fashion. It always ends with the negativity. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what does that mean? I can't love, love, you know, much like Utada taught us, let's appreciate these moments and savor them. Like those great, that great joke I just made. Uh, something I didn't like. Ah, what did I not like? There wasn't anything specifically musically that I was really, like, aghast at that I'm not previously aghast at. Like, I'm not a fan of the, like, the back number, so them still being popular to me is really (laughs) depressing. But also, it's hilarious that they wrote a song for BTS and people were, like, losing it over how beautiful it was. And it's just like, that cool, so that's 30 scary. years of J-pop that you're actually celebrating. Thanks. So I love that, actually. Um, what I didn't like was, and I hope this has ended, and I'm not sure if it will, there was a very brief three-month window where music really was became the scapegoat for COVID-19 in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember Fuji Rock, which was quote unquote postponed in 2020. It happened this year, but like the media was treating it like it was Chernobyl. Like they were just like, this is going to be the end of the country. And there were all these like reporters going there and just trying to find like evidence of people behaving badly. And they didn't. But then we had uh, Nami Monogatari happen where it did go very poorly. And we just had this period of time where, like, even sort of your average person on Twitter was just like, oh, music. I wish they would just close the clubs down and stuff. And, like, just knowing how devastated the live music industry, the clubbing industry, the live house industry has been over the past two years, this very brief, like, yeah, they're the worst shift was really depressing. And, like, I really made me think it was heading towards a bad place where we were going to be like the anti-dance laws are back, but people like it this time. But thankfully it's chilled out, at least for the moment. I think people just are kind of like, okay, cool. Case numbers are low. We're not in a state of emergency. 
Um, we'll see what 2022 brings. But that brief period to me was really, I really hated that and like what it represented. Mm, okay. Um, and I also think, I don't know if you wrote this, but I think you probably did. Or it may have been something that like a news service wrote, but like it probably was you now that I think about it. Again, referencing your writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there was something you wrote about how like Nami Monogatari kind of like killed this in this advance into the mainstream that hip hop was making in Japan. Mm, uh, yeah, a little, little bit, though I am, that's, this is a good example of why I think it's at least changing again, is, you know, I remember with Nami Monogatari, uh, A-Witch performed, uh, who's very talented and was having, like, really moving on up the ranks, mm-hmm. and then she became one of the sort of, like, oh, how dare you, good sir, like, outrage points, but, you know, now she's kind of back on upward trajectory she just appeared as a guest on the new radwimps album so that kind of introduced her to a new audience and she'll perform at budokan her first solo show there early next year and i think that's going to be like a big step forward for her and yeah like i was generally worried that all the artists who were involved with nami monogatari were going to be just like we will never speak of them again but yeah like we're at the end of the year now and it's like yeah no we're over it which i think is great because it easily could have turned into like not to be too internet-y but like everyone's canceled but Mm -hmm. thankfully no i think it was one of those things we're like okay we're all angry for a few weeks and now we're like we forgot about it so i i can't i can't remember but did um did bad hop end up having their yokohama arena concerts after like because they were supposed to have it during COVID. They were supposed to have it, then it got canceled because of COVID. Then they were going to have it again, it got canceled because of COVID. And then they did that festival, and mm-hmm. then it got canceled because of that. Did yes. they ever get to have it? No, not yet. <laughs> because I so. remember like looking at that, because they were going to have their own show. And uh-huh. then the next night was going to be like, and Friends, which was basically like Nami Monogatari, like, reprised. Because it was going to be like JP the Wavy and A, which, speaking of which, JP the Wavy got GQ Man of the Year, one of the people. So, like, nice little mainstream recognition there. But, like, I think it was in your article that said, or maybe I'm just, like, thinking of something else. But, like, I just think of, like, that Stutz and Takakomatsu and Kid Frazino song um, presence this year. And how, like, it was just, like, you have, like, a rap song as, like, a drama theme and then on the flip side you had like this like festival which was just like oh hip-hop is bad because a lot of people were like blaming like people that listen to that kind of music what can you expect from them young people were the real scapegoats yeah. which is a recurring thing in japan in the recent years but yeah, I do think, I think it's good to be sort of more optimistic about it, like, moving forward. I also would argue, I kind of think, you mentioned, you know, hip-hop, is it going to be mainstream? Like, I kind of think it's reached a point where it's just become so big on its own, it doesn't have to worry as much about trying to be like, like, can Oclo be on Music Station or whatever? It's like, well, no, he's already got one of the biggest songs of the year because of that anime opening with uh, Ali. Ali. I think. 
group. Yeah. Like, it's like, I think Japanese hip hop has actually developed its own sustainable ecosystem. And I don't think we need an artist. We don't need Ko to suddenly become like a J pop force, too. To me now, it's kind of like, yeah, I think there's something healthier now about not having to force that. I think it's all like um, community based, too. It's very tight knit. They're all working mm-hmm. with each other, so they can like support each other. So yeah, it's really it don't need. I agree. It's very YouTube centric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I interviewed JP the Wavy last year, I asked them just like, how do you go and transfer this YouTube popularity into like, how do you take it further? And he was just like, do we need to? Young people are on YouTube, and that's where we are. I was like, oh, true. But but speaking of Co, not to make everything Johnny's, but the last the last and final song by this group that retired this year was written by Co. And that would be V6's Ame. So funny. (laughs) What? Yes, the final V6, like, because they had their album Step, which was their last final, their last studio album, which came out in October. September, September, came out in September, the best album was in October, but, like, yeah, they wrote, like, the last song that they, like, actually, like, new song, they actually, like, promoted, like, on shows and stuff, and it was, like, a co-song. It's so, funny, because Johnny's also, I forget which group it is, was it, se- it might be Sexy Zone, or maybe Kiss My Foot too. I forget who, they also are working with this, like, rising, somebody who was really a, a, a connected with the SoundCloud rap community in Japan named Sick Boy. Like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Sick Boy was being brought into their fold, too. And, like, Sick Boy is an interesting one because that artist I know is also being kind of presented as a potential, like, new face of Japanese hip-hop for the global world. Global world. the, The world. And, like, he worked with... Okay, what was his name? Is it Little Tracy? Is that the... It's like some other American SoundCloud rapper he worked with this year. So, yeah, Japanese rap is really starting to find... Maybe not at the center of everything, but it is starting to spread in a way that's, I think, probably better for it in the long run. It actually reminds me a lot of, like, my glory days, like net labels and, like, Mm multi-day and tofu beats and stuff, where it's like... Yeah, a lot of these artists don't become, like, the biggest stars, but they're everywhere. And, like, they're also kind of getting attention outside of the country, sort of as, like, a taste, cool thing. You know, like, Porter Robinson's kind of like, yeah, this is my favorite thing in the world, Multine. Like, yeah, and then, and then that, that, so, 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 yeah, and it, like, I kind of feel Japanese hip-hop's going that way, too, where it's, like, you know, you're not going to see Toji on Music Station, even though, man, that is one of those beautiful oh, things I put in my head. Because Sick Boy was on CDTV. <laughs> oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> I uh, mean, also, to be frank, like, I will go to a convention and see 50 girls all lined up dressed up as the same hypnosis my character with the knowledge that if i go into a hot topic and talk about hypnosis mike three girls will come over and immediately know what i'm talking about (laughs) like i feel like that 
is the end state where it might be the most ideal for like Japanese hip hop, where they have such a wide international reach like that. Like they're writing for Hitmic. And so all these girls are listening to some SoundCloud J hip hop artists from Japan that like nobody there knows, but like there are millions of little girls who are listening to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so like maybe that is our end state. That's true. It all comes back to the the fictional anime groups are really like the best drivers of it for everything we've talked about. <laughs> yes. Like this is how you create the niche. Just make anime girls or boys. Yeah, or horses. Um, it's either anime or <laughs> rising, so... <laughs> so, I will now name my... I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to make it sound so dramatic. Um, my favorite <laughs> album of the year. Um, it, the title of the album has been a word that we have used a couple times during this podcast. And that would be Lucky Kilimanjaro's Daily Bop. There, the word bop was used. Maybe this is why I like the word bop so much. Um, I remember Bocce, who some of us know. I had heard the band before last year, and I liked their album Last Year Imagination. And then he described them last year, and I was just like, oh my god, I do not like this comparison. He described them as sock in action, but fun. Oof. That has stuck so, in my head since. Like, I, it's, it's, I can't take that off my head for them. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it just, I was just like, oh, what do you mean, sock in action, but fun? Because, like, for those who do not know, for those who do not know, sock in action actually is what drew me back from the claws of K-pop. Ichiro Yabaguchi doing good work. All right. Yeah. Let's go. Like 2010. So yeah, it's Daily Bop by Lucky Kilimanjaro. I just like it because like, basically it is like, so they are like suck in action, but fun. Like it's not exactly like the most original, but I really do like it. I mean, because like I said before, like, I personally am in a state of just like, like, when you have to get out, when you, like, I will say this, like, I have had to, like, be out working in the public since June of 2020. So, like, when you're out getting up every day, going to work every day, like, engaging with the public, your life feels pretty back to normal. And that's the state I've been in since June of 2020. So for me, like life is about like looking forward and looking past all of this because, excuse me, because I'm still getting up and going to work every day. So I'm just thinking of like the positive and like this album, it was refreshing and it embodied that. Okay. Favorite song of the year. It's pretty obvious. I've been hyping this song all year. Hannah shitted on this song when I talked about it earlier this summer, but mm -hmm. it is going to be, and I shitted on this company like a couple of times during this podcast, but it is going to be Sendai Mei J Soul Brothers tonight. It's so good. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's, you, it's like crazy good, actually. Like, it's so good. It has no right to be as good as it is. I was just like, oh, Hannah, it's so good. They're like harmonizing, and she's like, because all their opportunities have dried up because they are now flops. 
<laughs> but it's true. <laughs> I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, they don't have anything to do now, so they can sit around harmonizing. <laughs> I was like, excuse That's me, That's why Anna. AKB dances so well now. That There's nothing co- else to do? <laughs> the coughing that I was just doing was me choking when she said this, because I was just like, that is so rude. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Because part of me knows it's true. <laughs> because I I like I wrote about them in 2015 when I first started at Japan Times. Like I was liking how they were going and bringing this like, basically they were like going and bringing competition to Johnny's. They were doing something fresh, something modern, and I liked the fact that there was now competition against competition for like. Because there was a moment where, like, the one Arashi album and their album, where it was looking like, oh, they were going to eclipse them. But then it didn't happen. But it looked like it was going to happen. And I was just like, and then they kind of, like, started getting very heavy into EDM. And then they, like, transitioned back to, like, more, like, R&B stuff recently, which I've been enjoying. And I was just like, oh, I really like this song. It was very, it's just, it's very smooth. I like a smoothness. It's very polished. It's very smooth. I was just like, it's good. It's good. I just really enjoyed it. Um, but thank you, um, Patrick and Ro, for agreeing. What did you guys I like mean, about it? I mean, it is a good song. To Wait, me. all four of you agree? I was trashing on the group. I did not say the hmm. song was bad. I just said, wow, like this is like Nemohamo rumor. Right? It's mm-hmm. great because they have no outside work. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tonight to sounds it's like gone. a Thai dollar sign and DJ Mustard song. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. That's why I love it. I love them too. So right. it's, it's so, I appreciate that it is also something that's kind of out of step with everything else happening in Japan, mm-hmm. which I think I'm always here for. Like those weird, like, yeah, this is definitely what we should be doing because this will connect with the gloomy kids of today. But yeah, I think Rio's description is perfect. So Yeah, wearing like shiny suits and like seducing women on rooftop poles. That's really what the kids are going for when like they are working a part-time job two days a week. Hey, you gotta save up for that night pool. <laughs> back to point twenty-six. So something I didn't like this year. Can we be happy? <laughs> <laughs> like, can we be happy? I just, I just, like, I know that, like, it may just seem selfish of me. It may seem, like, out of touch. It may just seem like, I may just be, like, a a, a, a privileged old man, perhaps. But the thing is, though, is that, like, I do know that like a lot of bad things have happened in the past year since the pandemic, even before the pandemic with just like, like, like the doctor said, neoliberalism, the collapse of like lifetime work, like all of that. Like, I know that a lot of bad things have happened. Like bad things happen to everybody. Like I, like we were talking on the pre-show today, like I almost got stabbed a year ago while coming to record with Patrick and Hannah while leaving work, someone tried to attack me. And the thing is, though, is that, like, 
I just think that like you have to go and appreciate life and what it is. And you can't always be in this woe is me state, even though things look dark, even though things are sad, you must go and find this is going to sound so cheesy. You're going to, you have to go find the inner light and grab onto that shred of hope and pull have it pull you up from your depth of despair. So I just want everyone to be happy. Even though the you pandemic sound is... sound like a disconnected coastal elite man. <laughs> I am just saying. Uh, I'm just saying. Um, but the thing is, though, is that, like, I think that people should try to find a way. People should try to find a way. Even if it's, like, even if, like, your whole day isn't happy, at least, like... Go and find something in the course of your day, your shitty day, and just find one thing that does bring you joy. And I think that if you can do that. I feel like that's a very different motto than like, let's just ignore the negative. (laughs) I'm not saying ignore the negative. I mean, like, you can have the negative. I think like, I think that we should not focus on the negative, not ignore the negative. Just don't focus on the negative. Like. Like I said, can we be happy? And basically, now we go to last words. Hannah? So we are ending this podcast for the second time in two years with the words, stay safe. Hopefully Ah! everyone does stay safe. I am really praying that next year... I do not need to say this again. <laughs> I, but yes, Japanese music, great. Just please. I was doing, um, because the other day, me and Hannah did the November podcast. And like at the night that I like, the night that we finished it, I was on Twitter. And this guy, he tweeted just like, people are starting to end their emails again with stay safe. And he used that clip of Meryl Streep screaming from um, Big Little Lies. And it drove. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, me and Hannah just ended the podcast with Stay Safe. Because, like, we also talked about in the episode about how the first community spread case of Omicron in the United States came from the anime convention that we went to. <laughs> That's right. You guys went to that. <laughs> you guys were okay. My first ever anime convention. <laughs> We were and, fine because he only spread it to his friends and it wasn't even at the convention, but it was just like, wow, like this is how we make the headlines, huh? <laughs> so Hannah basically is like, stay safe. Okay, Patrick. Uh, is it a bop? We'll find out next year. Let's all <laughs> get together and talk about it. That's what I want to know in 2022. Octopus. Ox path, ox Oct- path, <laughs> ox paths. It's a bop. Uh, true or false? Um, check in in April for that Arama it, podcast I'm creating now. It sounds like a like a like a um, a Marvel villain. It's a bop. <laughs> no ox path. Oh, ox path. Oh, like Doc Ock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, your turn now. Yeah, well, um, well, thanks so much for inviting me once more. Um, like Japanese music once again was a really great year, so I'm I'm kind of 
glad that we could talk about it. I just hope that more people uh, just start tuning into Japanese music. It's just an exciting thing to follow. I agree. Yes. I agree. Here, here. And it just reminds me of when we ended the 2019 year in podcast. And um, I talked about two songs at the end of that podcast, Patrick. Do you remember what two songs they are? Oh, shoot. What were they? Hold on. What were they? Refresh my memory. It was um, Sasuke's J Papa Oronai. Oh. oh, my God. Yes. Oh, wow. He, he performed at the Olympics, the Special Olympics closing ceremony. So interesting. And then also, Arashi's turning up with the J pop. Right. That was 2019. God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It really does feel like 20 decades ago. Um, turning up with the J-pop. <laughs> but like, is, I feel you know, like it, this yeah, year, more than in 2019, I can actually say, like, I feel like Japan has multiple artists that can do, like, multiple venue tours overseas. And, like, the grass is growing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just think of, like, those two songs. And even though they both are just, like, kind of just, like, they were, like, talking about just, like, J-pop from optimism side. But, like, expanding, like, the Japanese music overall, I am going to piggyback off of what was just said. And I do think that there is basically, like, something there for everybody. I know that, like, I know that, like, I often, like... I am Hannah. What did you say I was? That term, not like the, the whipping magnet? boy, the heat magnet. I'm the heat magnet. We're both the heat magnet. Explain <laughs> what a heat magnet is. So, heat magnet is the person who basically uh, causes. We don't cause drama, but we certainly attract it. <laughs> Guys are lightning rods. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> because the thing is, though, is that like. The thing is, though, is that um, because Arama is, like, the resource that it is, a lot of people really dislike the site, but a lot of people love to read the site even though they hate it. They love hate us, yes. Yes. Um, so there's like that aspect, but the thing is though, is that even though people do not like the site and even though they love the site or hate the site or love, hate it, I still like, I still am thankful for everyone that comes and reads this labor of love and also like listens to this labor of love. So I'm just like thankful for everyone for, um, reading and listening and supporting and just like, even like my, my I sound like Implow right now, but even like my outside works, <laughs> like the Japan <laughs> Ronald loves everyone. <laughs> well, you find your light of hope inside. Um, Title this podcast: Arama Japan Loves. <laughs> um, that really does sound like an Implow. Implow loves Arama Japan. That's what I should have named that interview. This would probably get you if you do that. Taku will probably come on. 
You could probably talk to him about all this if you do that. It'd be like, oh, that's a good reference. Actually, it reminds me, side note, like someone posted like Lisa's like sexy album the other day. And I just like was thinking about like, I asked her about that. And I was just like, did you really say the word wet pussy electric on your song? And she was like, yeah, I did. I wanted to talk about sex. I was a woman in my 30s. Why not? And I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, we don't have, we don't have explicit lyrics tags in Japan. So I just did it. I was like, That's oh, true. interesting. But going back, um, thank you, everyone, for listening, for reading, for everything. Um, it's been a great year. I know we've had some ups. We've had some downs. But you can't let your downs, you can't let your downs keep you down. You have to go up and stay up. You can come down sometimes, but don't stay down. Um, but yeah, Japanese music, it's great. Listen to it. Like, there's something here for everybody. Even though, like, I trash things, I still welcome everybody. I think everyone should be able to, like, have their opinion, have their voice, regardless of what I say sometimes. I do appreciate you guys. I never tell anyone I don't appreciate them, so I don't know why I'm saying that. But thank you, everybody. And, um... And thank yes. you to our guests for coming on. Yeah. Thank you to our guests for coming well, thank on. You friends for having show. us. Thank you for doing what you do. Arama Japan loves. <laughs> <laughs> you need to send that to talk. <laughs> Patrick and Ro. You'll be too busy looking over B first stems or whatever. So. <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> oh my god. He's gonna be like, I'm never coming on that crap it's a what now a what cast (laughs) okay so um we've said our final words and so it is christmas eve here christmas day in japan um so did you eat your fried chicken and cake yet uh not yet that will my pickup is at 8 p.m so it's the only available slot so I got to eat lunch now so I can, you know, not collapse by then. Okay. Have fun with your chicken. I will. I haven't had fried chicken for Christmas until today. So this has been a, a decade. Of making. Oh, no, wow. Because no. usually, usually I go back to the States for Christmas. But, but yeah, obviously that's never happening. So <laughs> yeah, happen. why not? Why not eat Kentucky fried chicken? Someday we will all be reunited and we can go eat fish collar in Koenji again. Oh boy. Oh, we'll gather around the Izakaya, sing the Hoshino Gen song and have a good old time. Um, but yeah, I'm just like waiting for everything to blow over. And then I'm also like waiting for ANA to send me another thing saying another email saying, Your miles are extended some more. <laughs> Which means you can't come. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Basically, thank you, everybody. Listen to Japanese music. Find your niche. Explore it. Talk about it. With other people. Do your thing. All right. Good night. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, too. Sorry. Guests, say your good nights. Thanks Happy for listening. Holidays. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. I bet it's going to be good, right?
2020 in parentheses two, just like the Evangelion movies. There we go. That perfect loop to close it on. A wrong with Japan loves Evangelion. <laughs> oh Lord. Good night. Good night.